Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. Welcome to the playoff prediction episode of Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Lure, your host, so happy to have you with us. Ended up having four guests for this part of the podcast, and those are Beckley Mason of the New York Times and ESPN, Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders, Shams Trania of Real GM, and Arturo Galetti of Box Score Geeks. Each one of them gives their predictions, what they think is going to happen, and some general thoughts on the playoffs, and of course... Those of you who listen to the show know that we get on tangents, of course. And then at the very end, you'll have some of my predictions, though you get most of that throughout the conversations that happen. First up is Beckley Mason. Beckley writes for the New York Times, writes for ESPN, and he's a great follow also on Twitter. I've enjoyed following him for years and lucky enough to get to meet him a few years ago when we covered the draft together. I enjoyed talking with him. It ran about 23 minutes, and hope you enjoy it as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, man. Excited. So let's start with the Eastern Conference. What are your biggest takeaways now that we actually know what the seeding is going to be? Yeah, I still think Indiana is the team with the best chance to give Miami the most trouble. You know, as good as Chicago and as tough as they have played and as tough as they are, you know, we kind of all know that what they are. Uh, I just don't see them having enough to really bother the Heat. You know, they don't have a Paul George guy who can score 40. And it's as terrible as George has been for a pretty long stretch. At least he's done it, you know what I mean? Like, there's no one on the Bulls that you would say, well, you know, maybe it's a long shot, but he's at least at some point in his career done this. And I think you do need someone on the wing or at the point who can carry you and give you a big scoring night, a big performance against the Heat. And to me, you know, Indiana is the only team that really has a chance to do that. Yeah, I think when you talk about beating the Heat in a playoff series, it's all about ceiling because a team is going to have to play close to their best. And I think that your argument on the Bulls is sound. I think that their ceiling is just not high enough to give them a reliable chance. Obviously, they have a chance, but it's just not as high as I would even say Brooklyn as well. I think that Brooklyn's ceiling is high enough that they'd have a chance. I, I think that it's it's low as well, but it's higher, probably higher than Chicago. 
Well, the Brooklyn just will shoot a, a just like an incredible amount of threes, and that's something that you know if they get, if any team averages, I think Brooklyn for the last like three months has been shooting something like twenty five or twenty six threes a game which would lead the league or be right at the top with Houston, and they play slower than Houston. If you shoot that many threes and you start hitting 14 of them, 13 of them a game, you're going to really put stress on the defense. So, you know, there's a possibility where Chicago, like, you really see Mike Dunleavy hitting five threes a bunch of games. You know, that's kind of what it would take to shoot the heat out of their defense, and I just don't see that happening. So moving through the the rounds a little bit, in the first round in the East, do you predict or do you expect any upsets with the top four seeds? With the top four seeds, I mean, is a four or five really an upset? Um, you know, I I think Washington is actually, you know, that that series will be fun. Like I I, I think I would like to see Washington win just because I enjoy, you know, watching that team play. I think they're pretty underrated from a fan experience. Some of you know, I, I lived in D.C., covered that team when Wall was coming up, so I kind of have an attachment to seeing him develop because I've always loved watching him play and how hard he plays and how fast he is. And so, you know, I think the Wizards could, I guess, get an upset. Would you call even the 3-6 much of an upset with Brooklyn and Toronto? I, I would be surprised if Brooklyn gets out of that series. Not like shock, but... Toronto is basically better at everything than Brooklyn. The argument would be, well, they're Toronto. Who are these guys? And they haven't done it before. But, you know, you could argue that Lowry has outplayed Williams all season, and you'd be right. You could argue that DeMar DeRozan has outplayed Joe Johnson all season, and you'd be right. I just don't think that Toronto gets much credit because of where they are, but it's a top-10 defense and a top-10 offense. This is a solid team that's going to be really tough for Brooklyn to beat, and they're going to have to do it on the road. Yeah, I think that the whether if you want to call it tactics or whatever, that it seemed like Brooklyn was gunning for the six to play the three in Toronto. And there's a distinct possibility that that might have been a tactical mistake because as much frustration as playing the Bulls brings, without Rose, without Dang, they're, they just have trouble getting their offense going. And Toronto is one of those teams, going back to the idea of ceilings, that when they're playing well, they're a really tough team to knock out in a seven-game series. Sure, and, you know, obviously they have, we haven't really seen them in a seven-game series. You know, it's, so there's a lot of unknown, and because there's unknown, people don't trust them. But, you know, a lot of metrics and even the eye test would point to you that, you know, Brooklyn is still, you know, as great as Brooklyn has been on the stretch, Toronto's been better over the same stretch. <laughs> Toronto is really like an underrated story. And they're like them and the Grizzlies have just been on this tear for like four straight months. They still started terrible. But, you know, they're a real solid team. You know, will Casey's coaching really uh, be that much of a hindrance, you know, compared to Cage, who's never been in the playoffs as a coach? I don't know. I mean, I, I think this matchup, for some reason, people are focused a lot on how well the Nets match up with the Heat and, how that, and the Pacers to an extent. Now that's kind of a exciting thing, but like they have their work cut out for them to just get out of the first round. Yeah, and I also think that from an entertainment standpoint, that's going to be the most interesting series in the first round in the Eastern Conference, just because some of the other ones, I don't see Indiana-Atlanta, even if it stays surprisingly close, I don't see it being particularly entertaining. Yeah, I was really hoping for the Indiana-Charlotte just like gruesome rock fight series of like 70 to 80 you know, to 73 every game and I think Charlotte could have really actually given Indiana some trouble because they kind of bring out the worst instincts in Indiana so they make you play a lot of ISO so 
the pig inside. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Or I guess fortunately, you know, it would have been a league pass only venture. But uh, yeah, no, that's going to be a really fun series. Both those teams get up and down. Uh, when they move the ball, both of those teams actually play some pretty aesthetically pleasing hoops. So I'll be watching, of course. I'll be in Brooklyn. I'll be going to those games. Yeah. And then, so it seems like from, from what you're saying, that while it's not a, obviously a definite that you're expecting the Pacers-Heat conference finals, that seemed a lot more certain, let's say, two months ago. Well, certainly it was a lot two months ago. I still think those are clearly the two best teams in terms of talent and feeling. I am a little, you know, it's one of those things with the Pacers, like I'm just in wait-and-see mode. Like, let's watch them play a few games. If they start to put it together, if the desperation of the playoffs, helps them click into gear. I mean, they really haven't had much to play for for like a month. They've said Miami has played so bad themselves. They've like basically backed into the number one seed. So it's hard to say that, you know, they really got punished for how badly they played. And if they kind of start putting it together, they'll have a nice warm-up series against Atlanta. The second-round series kind of brings out their teeth. They get in a rhythm, they get their toughness, their vibe back, and then they go into Miami, they're going to have home court advantage. It's very possible that, you know, we could be a month from now when the conference final starts saying, God dang, you know, these guys are, uh, this is the team we thought they were three months ago, and they're they're still really dangerous. Yeah, I think that people sometimes forget how long the playoffs are and that the ebb and flow of it can just be really incredible because not only the fact that there are no back-to-backs, but just it takes a while. And it's, and whether it's waiting for other series to finish and all that, and so a team can get into or out of rhythm during the playoffs themselves. And, the heat, and you know, the Pacers are healthy. It's not like they're missing. You know, it's not like Paul George coming in with, like, some terrible ankle problem that he's fighting through or, you know, Roy Hibbert has a bad hip, you know, like they're they're relatively healthy, all five starters, and those guys have been so powerful for the last kind of two and a half seasons as a unit that it just seems silly to bet 100% that, like, they're going to continue to falter when, you know, the, the broader scope would say this is a team that has been really successful over a pretty long period of time. Regardless of drawing out who particularly faces who, which team do you expect or think has the best chance of making it out of the East when all said and done? Uh, Miami. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, no, I mean, it's, 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 uh, you can't really go against LeBron. We've seen him, we've seen him find levels. And I thought so it's interesting. I'm reading this book right now that Roland Lazenby wrote about Michael Jordan. It's a big biography. And, I mean, I'm only like 700 pages, and I'm only like 300 and some in. But one thing that, that strikes me is Jordan keeps talking about how he would find levels he didn't know he had. Like he had to be presented with certain challenges in order to understand how great he could be. And whether it was going to five-star camp when he was in high school for the first time and getting national exposure or, you know, going to North Carolina and, and playing against certain types of players when he got to the pros. And, like, every level brought something new out of him that even he didn't know he had. And I think to a degree that's what we've seen with LeBron is that kind of whatever it's been that he's needed to do, he's been able to find a way to do it. And i just not going to bet against that at all. And particularly when we're talking and comparing them to the Eastern Conference, it's not like his supporting cast is inferior in any way. You know, they're they're not 
the same team in some ways depth-wise that they were last year. I think that they'll there's a potential that they'll miss Mike Miller in a finals or conference finals for a game or two. But they have talent. We'll just have to see how healthy Dwayne Wade is. Yeah, and even without Wade, Bosch is so good. Mario Chalmers is probably one of the top three or four point guards in the East. I mean, realistically, like, if that dude went to the Rockets, that Rockets team would be a nightmare. I mean, that, that Rockets team, to me, suddenly becomes a top two team. He's so poised. He makes all the big plays. He's a great shooter. He goes to the rack hard. He punishes defenses for rotating off of him. Their big weakness is Ray Allen to me. Like, Ray, I don't know if he can really be on the court how they want him to because he hasn't shot well, plays defense, you know, as well as someone with kind of rickety legs and all the tread off the tires can play. And I think that's going to be a big a big point for them when the series gets tough is can they keep Ray Allen on the floor with teams going after him like Brooklyn does over and over and him not punt, you know, him not coming through on the other end. Yeah, that that could be a very interesting thing and that is the other factor in terms of Dwayne Wade's health is that if you ask Ray to do a little bit less, I think he'll do better at it. But when they ask him to do more or stay on the court longer, I feel like those flaws are gonna be a bigger problem for them in each individual game and in the series as a whole. Maybe. I mean, he's been just shooting 35, 36% from three. I mean, it's, he, like, he literally can't get, can't be on the court if he's going to be 6'3", six, 6'4", six, can't guard really any positions, and is shooting league average from three. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a big problem. So he's got to make shots. And in the playoffs, he's kind of gone in and out historically. So we'll see. But, I mean, to me, that's a big sticking point. That's a very good point. We'll move on to the West, and we can start going series by series. But originally, what are you most interested in, let's say, in the first round? Oh, man, I think the Grizzlies-Thunder series. The Grizzlies have been nasty. I was looking it up last night. You know, the point differential isn't huge because they play a lot of close games, and, you know, they win a lot of close games with great defense down the stretch, steals, et cetera. But, like, they are 40-17. and They have an over 70% winning percentage after the first basically month and a half of the season. So you're talking about a team that would be on pace to win like 58 games if they had played this way the whole year. This is a very good team. The Thunder, you know, I still think as great as Westbrook is, they don't really have the rhythm offensively that you would want them to have going into this series. I think they'll probably overwhelm the Grizzlies. Grizzlies still don't have a great matchup. For Durant, Courtney Lee, too short. For how strong Durant's gotten, uh, Tony Allen, they put him on the court. He's such a liability offensively. Will OKC be able to take care of it? But that series, to me, is probably the most intriguing of the first round. The Rockets and Portland will be fun, but I don't think that's going to have the sort of intensity that Grizzlies and uh, Thunder will. And then, you know, I think, obviously, there's a big rivalry, uh, emotional rivalry anyway. Maybe the stakes haven't been that high between the Clippers and Golden State, but I can't see Golden State winning more than two games in this series. I just The Clippers are just going to murder them inside South Bogut. So as much as I want to be fired up about that series and maybe Curry going bananas and carrying them some, uh, Chris Paul is an all-league defender, and they're just going to hammer the paint. And I think if you get beat up inside like that, it kind of doesn't matter uh, how well you shoot. But we'll see. 
Yeah, we're in agreement on all of that. I've, as somebody who lives in the Bay Area and covers the Warriors, the Bogut injury really changed the complexion of that series. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how Jackson adjusts to it because they're clearly undermanned now and they're going to have to do something unusual. And we'll see whether he reacts to that by playing a lot of Jermaine O'Neal or whether they go really unconventional, which could be interesting, even if it ends up being not successful in terms of winning the series, but in terms of making it longer and more frustrating for the Clippers. Jackson's a tough coach to figure out that way because some things he does are really innovative and interesting and you're like, ooh, kind of like a maverick thing I didn't see coming. I'm into this. And then sometimes like, why are we throwing it to Jermaine O'Neal on the post when Steph Curry is on the court? You know, I think O'Neal is a, is a very – really like a useful big backup center, but when you have them playing a ton of minutes, especially against, you know, if it was like O'Neal and they were playing the Grizzlies, I'd be like, hey, not too bad. They're going to play a half-court game. Uh, it's going to be all inside where he's, he might not be able to jump much, but he hasn't gotten any smaller. He's still very strong and physical, but chasing DeAndre and Blake up and down the court, especially when Blake gets the ball and pushes it himself and looks for that lob for DeAndre, I mean, you think Jermaine O'Deal is going to be able to sprint up and down with them? It's probably the best option to just go small, get weird, and, and do their best. You know, play Lee at the five, play Green at the four, and try to spread out and shoot a ton of threes. That could work. I just see, like, I just see everyone fouling out, basically, on the Warriors because the Clippers just continue to just assault the rim. I agree with you. The only thing I would add is that I've eventually started to figure out Mark Jackson in the sense that how I see his brain working is that he's a guy who runs a lot on instinct, and his instincts are different than conventional wisdom in certain situations. And so that leads to the things that intrigue us, like sometimes he doesn't call timeouts on that last possession, so it just goes straight mm-hmm. into the offense, which, which is something that I like. And I think it was, was Ethan Sherwood-Strauss who asked him about it once, and he said, well, that's what I thought was best, and so he does that. But at other points, his instincts are, we have Stephen Curry on the floor, but let's keep throwing the ball into David Lee. And so it's kind of that balancing act. And so what will be interesting in this series is that his calibration is going to be just off because he doesn't have the pieces he normally has. And if that leads to a reaction like what happened with Harrison Barnes and just trying something weird, but he's not going to have the benefit of a coach that won't be able to counterpunch because Carl did a really poor job of adjusting to the Warriors last year, but Doc Rivers is so smart and their roster is so much better fit to punish the Warriors for their flaws than the Nuggets were last year. Yeah, and I mean, they defend the pick and roll pretty well with those two bigs. You know, I think they'll be comfortable switching and and having DeAndre hedge out on Curry. I mean, Curry's going to hit some crazy shots, but I really don't like the idea that the Warriors are going to have to rely on Curry. I think the more he shoots and the more he feels like he has to shoot in that series, probably not that great of a sign. You know, the best case for them would be Clay going off, David Lee putting up big numbers. I don't think Curry, kind of just the way that their offense goes, I don't think having him just gunning is going to get it done because he's going to run out of steam and I think they need to figure out a way to get in a rhythm and get like they did in Denver where they had Harrison Barnes bombing away, you know, get get other guys open shots and hope that they connect. Yeah, I agree. On to the second round, I've had a lot of trouble this year figuring out Houston, and at the same token, I have a lot of trouble figuring out how a Houston-San Antonio series would look. Do you have any insight into that? Oh, man. Well, I think a lot of it can come down to how aggressive Patrick Beverly can be. He can go really hard and get in Lillard. I think there's going to be 
it's going to be tough for Portland. But if he's not 100% and he's not able to do what he does so well, uh, I think those Portland lineups can give them a lot of trouble. Portland's happy to run and shoot with Houston, but they've got a better post presence. They've got that kind of when they go with that Mo Williams and Damian Lillard lineup, they can, I think, really give Houston's guards a lot of trouble scoring. Again, that's if Beverly isn't able to really go. If he can go hard, I just think kind of physically overwhelming. You know, it's just going to be tough for them to keep up. Harden kills the Blazers. Yeah, I, I would say I would give the Rockets a little bit of the edge, but at the same token, you know, Terry Stotts has, you know, learned so much being on Carlisle's staff, and I would not be surprised if he didn't have some really smart wrinkles that he brought out for end-of-game situations and big moments here. And, you know, Batum could have uh, – the Batum-Parsons matchup is very spicy and interesting, and I think that might also be a place where the series swings. Is there any second-round matchup that, as a basketball fan, you would be most interested in seeing – Mm, I think, I mean, Clippers-Thunder is pretty darn juicy. So that would be my clear favorite for second-round series. That's, that would be outstanding. I think Chris Paul, you know, ne- has never been out of the second round, which is, like, insane for a guy who's as decorated and as good as he is and, you know, frankly, as old as he is, 29 or something, 28. He, you know, and now he's got to go up against Westbrook, who physically – has been too much for Paul going to the rim a lot. Uh, I think that'd be a huge test for him and his legacy, and I, I would love for that series. This is the best team that Chris Paul has ever played on, correct? I mean, there, we'll have to see with injuries, but it seems like, at least on paper, it's better than any of the Hornets teams that he played on. Yeah, it's definitely close. I mean, gosh, I thought that Hornets team with Chandler and Pagia, where they took the Spurs and it looked like, looked like they were going to beat the you know, beat the brakes off the Spurs, I guess that's 08. I thought that team was also better than people realized. You know, that, had, that team had David West, Tyson Chandler, Chris Paul, and Pedro Stoyakovich when Pedro was still bombing threes. So, you know, he, it's not like he hasn't been on good teams before, but I think that, you know, when you, when you bring in the coaching factor and the fact that Blake can take over a game by himself, I would agree that this is the best team. But I would, I would hesitate to say he's never been on very good teams. Oh, yeah, I think that he's been on good teams before, and those Hornets teams that you brought up were very good. And I just think that when you're thinking about the narrative, it's not like he's trying to carry this Clippers team, though he is the best player on the team. It's just that they have a lot of talent around him. But we'll move on to who you expect to make it out of the West, and it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I've got the Thunder. It's just a oof. I really got to see them in the playoffs to know for sure. I hate making these predictions at the start. Spurs are obviously a nightmare to play against, but I think physically sort of just the, the team speed and size and physicality of the Thunder to me is still overwhelming, even with the Spurs. So if Westbrook is healthy, he's going to have to make shots. I mean, Pop is going to play him off, and they're going to make him hit those shots they made Wade and LeBron hit. But I think still Durant is sort of a matchup that <laughs> no one can solve. And uh, I have faith, basically, in his talent above what the Spurs are doing. I mean, as great as the Spurs are, they are still this system that you can get the wrench in there. Things break down, and they really don't have, outside of Parker and occasionally Ginobili, the pieces where you can just throw it to a guy at the end of a shot clock and make something happen. If Ginobili has a huge series, I think they have a chance. But he's got to play like a star. 
that makes a lot of sense, and it'll be interesting to see how that works out. You can give a champ if you want to, but the, what I'll end with it, it, beyond that is that every year certain guys make a jump in level of fame. So that can be from a nobody to somebody that people know or from a, a household name to a superstar. Are there any guys that stand out to you as people who will make one of those jumps? Well, I think Kyle Lowry could could do that. You know, he's had a he's had a pretty fantastic season, and if he really you know kind of goes nuts against Brooklyn, that's going to be you know it's, it's Brooklyn, but it's still the New York market, so there's an opportunity there. I think Patrick Beverly is going to become a name that at least is a household name in basketball circles, if it isn't already. If he can be healthy and he can get into you know they get in the second round, and he really gives Tony Parker fits, which is absolutely possible. That would be something that would really help the Rockets because if you can dole that point of attack for the Spurs, you're going to be in business. And then really whoever gets to the finals out of the West, I feel like is just going to be on a rocket ship in terms of how people judge them. I mean, it could be Westbrook if Westbrook has a big conference final series. You know, I'm, I'm not in the let Westbrook be Westbrook camp. I'm, I'm in the make Westbrook be a better Westbrook camp. But, you know, if he could really, if he just you know, if he smashes Chris Paul and, and and bowls his way through Tony Parker, it'd be tough to say, you know, this guy's not, you know, an elite, elite top point guard in the NBA. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure having you. Yeah, anytime, man. Uh, we'll do it again soon, hopefully. Thanks again to Beckley Mason for coming on. I'm excited that I got finally got to have him. He writes for the New York Times and ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Beckley Mason. That's B-E-C-K-L-E-Y-M-A-S-O-N. Next up is Nate Duncan. He writes for Basketball Insiders, and we talked more generally about the playoffs because the seating had just been announced. So, conversation runs about 23 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Always. Glad to be here. So, we're recording this on Wednesday night, and the playoff bracket officially just came out, and there was some some movement, and actually, to me, the most interesting movement featured the Chicago Bulls and the fact that they stayed in the fourth spot, and now, instead of facing Brooklyn like it looked like was going to happen for a couple weeks, they're going to face the Washington Wizards. Well, you know, maybe this is a little premature because... We don't know uh, how that Warriors-Nuggets game has finished up yet. Uh, I'm not sure I can really make any playoff predictions until I know how many points uh, Ogni and Kuzmich had tonight. So maybe we should just hold off until later. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting to think of how different the tenor of the Warriors-Nuggets game would be if there was anything on the line for it. Because uh, you do see that, and we saw that a lot today, actually, of games that could have been very important that ended up not being important and all of that. And it's another dynamic at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, I actually have been enjoying this much more because we get an entire game full of fits surprised. I can't believe this reserve is doing this tone, which I really enjoy, but okay. So, so getting back to your question about the bulls. Yeah. Things couldn't have turned out better for them because now they are in the opposite bracket as Miami they get to play Washington instead of Brooklyn, who I think most people would agree is a weaker opponent. And, you know, they get to play Indiana in the second round, who hasn't looked too good lately. So it's really, as a Chicagoan, it couldn't have worked out any better for me. And that's despite the Bulls doing absolutely nothing to try to manipulate the seedings. I think, you know, Jimmy Butler played well over 40 minutes in tonight's overtime game anyway. So 
Yeah, and we saw that difference with what Brooklyn was doing, and it seemed obviously you can justify them sitting a lot of guys because of their age, but at the same time, it looked like they were trying to finesse a matchup with Toronto, which nearly was foiled by the Bulls potentially winning that game, considering Toronto ended up losing to the Knicks. Yeah, although Toronto didn't try for the second half of that game. So they, I mean, they were they were running out like Chuck Hayes and Steve Novak at the end of that game. I think it might well have been a different result had they kept playing their guys. They were up 51 to 33 at one point. I'm not sure exactly what point they stopped playing their starters. So maybe that, that would have been different. But I think the Nets were happy to, you know, have a matchup with Toronto instead of the Bulls. I'm not really sure that that is the right decision. I mean, the Bulls certainly are much more feared throughout the league, but Toronto is the superior statistical team by quite a bit. That's completely true, and also you have the, the factor that the Bulls' offense is just shaky, and when you think about the what Brooklyn brings to the table, I, I think you can definitely make that argument, but kind of from a selfish perspective, I'm very happy that there's a much greater chance that we're going to get to see a Brooklyn-Miami series. I'm not discounting Toronto at all. I think Toronto, they're the favorites, at least to me, offhand. I haven't dug deep into it yet because we just found out it's going to happen. But I'm very intrigued, as I have been since this Brooklyn team was assembled, by that possibility just in terms of the size and the way those teams fit together. Yeah, it was clear even. I think they played in the third game of the season when and Miami ended up losing that game at Brooklyn to go to to go to one and two at the time that Brooklyn presents a few matchup problems for Miami, or perhaps more accurately, Miami does not present as many matchup problems for them. And that perhaps has even become more the case now that Brooke Lopez doesn't play anymore. And the, and the Nets kind of do this hybrid lineup with three interchangeable parts at the two through four positions. Yeah, and the fact that they can kind of mitigate the switching and and handle switching themselves in a different way takes away a lot of the, if you want to call it, competitive advantages that Miami has on most of the other teams, especially in the East. You know, this is actually, it's interesting because these Bulls-Wizards and Raptors-Nets series both kind of harken back to mid-2000s series between those same two teams and I think it was in 2007 that the Raptors had a breakthrough under Chris Bosh they're really young had no playoff experience they were playing against that sort of the last hurrah of that Jason Kidd Vince Carter Richard Jefferson Nets team the Nets were the sixth seed and I think the and the Nets also started off the season really poorly that year and then came on to still make the playoffs and the Raptors were the three seed, and the Nets ended up beating them in six. Jason Collins locked down Chris Bosh in that series. So there's definitely some parallels there between a very veteran Nets team and a young Raptors team with very little playoff experience. And then you know, the same thing, Bulls-Wizards Bulls evokes a lot of the same themes as their 2005 matchup as well. Yeah, and it's definitely interesting with that kind of the way that that ends up working out. In terms of the one versus eight and two versus seven, do you see any realistic chance, as even as poorly as the Pacers have played generally recently, that they would lose a seven-game series to the Hawks? They seem to be getting it together a little bit. Granted, that's only really the last two games, but because they had played better early on in the season you might be more inclined to believe a positive two-game blip than you would if they had you know, just sort of been rather blah the entire year. 
it's going to be real tough for their offense, though, if Roy Hibbert just ends up being a complete liability still. he's I really just don't know what's going on with him. Maybe he's privately nursing an injury or something, but you know, there was Tom Haverstrow noted in his column today that he is an under 10 PER since the All-Star break. I mean, that's, I don't care how good you are on defense, that's pretty rough for a starting player in the NBA. And it's real tough to have a good offense when you're starting a player like that. And that gets into my biggest conceptual criticism of the Pacers is that they have a lot of guys and there have been some really good pieces written on, you know, George Hill's role in the defense and things like that. I think Ian Levy wrote one for Hickory High. The problem with that team is that they don't have anybody who's a strong offensive asset. And so it's interesting that they've designed this team. They made a lot of strong tactical choices and they've made a great defensive team. But as you mentioned, Hibbert, I think Hibbert's offense has generally been overrated. I think that people think he's big and he does some interesting things sometimes. And also some people, he went to Georgetown. So the passing and all that kind of stuff, but they don't sacrifice defense for offense at any position. And that's going to make it dangerous whenever they face a team that can play both sides of the ball. I think the reason Hibbert is considered a better offensive player than he actually is, is because he's just had two really good offensive series against Miami the last two years. And really, aside from that, we haven't seen much indication that he is a real good offensive player, especially now with the decline in his offensive rebounding that, again, seems pretty inexplicable. You know, one thing to, to keep in mind is he's played a lot more minutes this year. Last year, really, he didn't play that many minutes during the regular season. And then all of a sudden, he was able to, against Miami, play 40 minutes a game at a really, really high level. I think, ultimately, there was a reason, though, that he hadn't been playing as many minutes, which is, you know, he could be a little worn down. And I think, you know, I'm not just saying that, oh, because he's not playing as well. It's because of the decline in the effort categories, especially offensive rebounding, that I think would lend a little more credence to that theory. And you do see that when players make shifts in terms of how their minutes and how they're used. You see that fatigue come in, and it doesn't really even matter. You see it a lot from college guys coming into the pros, but you know, whenever your minutes ramp up, and the other big difference for the Pacers is they've had a different level of intensity in terms of those minutes the whole season that they didn't have last year. Yeah, due to their professed desire from the jump to – get the number one seed, which I guess did work out. You know, we'll see. I think it all depends how, how they play in this first-round series. I mean, I think if they handle four games to one and with a, a blowout or two in there, you're going to probably most of the pundits will be thinking, all right, you know, they got it solved. They're back to being, you know, what we thought they were. I mean, if not that amazing at the start of the season, at least, you know, a clear number two team in the East. It's tough to say. I mean, you, you got to remember the Pacers struggled with the Hawks last year. So even considering their struggles, do you think that the Hawks really pose much of a threat for the Pacers this year? I think they may. I mean, certainly the Hawks are by far the weakest playoff team. A lot of their terrible resume this year was compiled when they lost 14 out of 15 with a lot of guys injured. Obviously, Al Horford's not coming back, but they were missing Perro Antic. They're starting Elton Brand. Millsap missed, you know, probably about six, seven games during that period. So they're a little better than their record overall. And they're a tough matchup for Indiana. And it reminds me, again, we could party like it's 2007. In that year, the Jazz and the Rockets matched up. And the Jazz were a really tough matchup for Yao Ming, who, who plays very similarly to Hibbert on defense. 
because the Jazz had Carlos Boozer, who could shoot at least from mid-range real well. And then they had Mehmet Okur, who could bomb threes. So the, the Rockets had to guard Okur with the power forward. And then they had to have Yao guarding Boozer. And that was a real tough matchup. Hibbert's going to run into somewhat of the same issue, except now Paul Millsap actually can shoot threes himself. Uh, with him and Antich, they are going to make the Pacers do some things that they aren't necessarily used to doing. I guess the quote-unquote good news for the Pacers is the way Hibbert's been playing, and with Jan Mahinmi actually being a little better, maybe they just roll him out there and have him guard Antich if Hibbert's not producing offensively. Maybe there's just not that much reason to have him out there in this series. That's definitely an interesting parallel. And the other juxtaposition that I think is going to be interesting is that we had this Pacers team that was gunning from the beginning for the number one seed, and they were playing their guys heavy minutes. And some people, including myself, think that that might help explain their swoon during the general end of the season. Compare that to the Spurs, who are the best record in the league, but have barely played a lot of their best players. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out. All right, well, that actually, I may have to digress a little bit from the playoff talk, because as everyone has been lauding the Spurs, oh, they do such an amazing job resting guys. Like, why hasn't everyone else figured it out? Well, the reason everyone else hasn't figured this out is because their benches don't play the way the Spurs bench does. A lot of that's acquisition. The Spurs are allowed to be a little deeper when your best guys are making $10 million instead of $15 million just because they decided to take a discount, basically. But also, it's Pop's coaching. You know? I mean, he can. the reason they can afford to do that is because they're still going to win a ton of games, even with the reserves out there. The Pacers bench is terrible. So if they had rested guys more, they would be the two seed. They might even be you know, getting down towards the three seed if they're playing their starters 30 minutes a game. And that's true for around the league. So... This idea that, oh, all these other teams are so dumb. Why don't they just play their stars left? Look, it works for the Spurs. Yeah, that's a lot easier said than done. I agree with you completely. I think that it's been overblown, and also you run into the situation. I think that the goal with that is to emulate the entire situation, and part of that is that everybody there except for the, basically I would say the players on the bench, has a lot of job security, you know. And But you have a lot of, not only the coaches that are looking out for the best, and I think of a guy like Mark Jackson playing Stephen Curry a lot of minutes, because when Stephen Curry doesn't play, the Warriors lose. And so you compare that, and then you have the other issue, which is that in a large amount of situations, especially with the shorter contracts under the current CBA, guys need to be looking out for their stats, because they know that that affects how much money they're going to get paid, and you can't ask players, or if functionally it just won't happen, for them to sacrifice to say, oh, well, you could play 36 minutes a game, but you're going to play 30 and your stats are going to take a hit. And most players aren't going to be all right with that. Yeah, I mean, Paul George, for example, he probably doesn't make an all-NBA team this year and get his 27% of the salary cap instead of 25% of the salary cap max if he's playing 30 minutes a game. Well, all right, so what other uh, series do you want to talk about here? As, as usual, we've gone off on a number of tangents, which I enjoy, but this is supposed to be the playoff podcast, I suppose. Well, for me, the other one that's interesting, well, the two other ones, because the Clippers-Warriors, I think, would have been fascinating before the Bogut injury. I think that obviously took the took the life out of that one a little bit. I'm very intrigued by Oklahoma City against Memphis, just the kind of the clash of styles, but also the possible shocking relevance of Kendrick Perkins is 
fascinating to me considering his kind of role in everything in Scotty Brooks's reputation. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that before we came on of what those matchups are going to be. I mean, I think we are probably going to see more Perkins. You know, we're, I don't think we're going to see that much Steven Adams just because the history is that coaches just kind of freeze up and don't like to play rookies in the playoffs when, when the pressure's on because they, they, you know, they can't deal with the mistakes and every possession is so important, or at least the coaches think that it is. And Oklahoma City, you know, I don't know if they're going to go I don't know if they're going to go small. I mean, they really can't with Gasol and Randolph in the game because that means Kevin Durant is guarding Zach Randolph. And one thing that the Grizzlies do really, really well is they do not let you get away with guarding Zach Randolph with a small player. And that's because Zach has such amazing activity off the ball. He's If you put a small guy on him, he's just going to post up right under the basket and he's either going to get a layup or a foul off that nice pass from Marcus Gasol in the high post. So the, the Grizzlies, you can't, can't get away going small against them, except when they bring in a sub. And then, you know, Scotty Brooks might try and steal some minutes with that small lineup, which a lot of people believe is the best one for Oklahoma City. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's the interesting thing between that and a potential second-round series against the Clippers is the difference between having two big men that make you pay offensively in Gasol and Randolph versus Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, who doesn't in the same way. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so do you think the Warriors are completely sunk? There's just no way that they can compete against the Clippers? I'm not going to say no way. I think that there are enough talented players on the Warriors. The big problem with how it happened is that the injury hit at the place where they have the least depth. And so if I had faith that Mark Jackson would go really experimental and basically go for the, okay, well, we're not going to play conventionally against them because we literally do not have the people to do it, and was going to go maybe David Lee at center, go some really weird stuff, I would say they would have a little bit more than a puncher's chance because the Clippers are a better team anyway. But I don't see that happening, so it gets low. But I mean, Steph Curry's a great player. Klay Thompson can get hot. They have guys that can win them games in series, and the Clippers are a team that that doesn't sweep the leg super well. They're a team that can let a game go. So you could see one where Steph swings a game or two, Clay or maybe Iguodala or somebody gets hot for one game, and then the Clippers blow one, and the Warriors win in six or seven. But I would say that's a very unlikely outcome, and for on a personal level, that's very disappointing because that would have been an excellent series. Yeah, and it would just be nice for us to go see more playoff games at Oracle too. But I mean, I you know you could construct a scenario where Clay and Steph go completely nuts in one of the first two games. They come back and the crowd wills them to a couple of real close wins at Oracle. I mean, I, I think the one thing that might give the Warriors hope is that the Clippers don't really have any lockdown perimeter defenders, you know, someone along the lines of Kawhi Leonard or, or even a Danny green level guy who really frustrated the Warriors last year. And they don't, and they don't even have a guy who is going to chase clay around the screens and really lock him down either. So I think there is a chance, but I just, it's got to be real tough for them to slow down that Clippers offense. I guess the, the only other thing would be, that the Warriors aren't going to have to play their bad bench quite as much. But 
then again, they are because Andrew Bogut's not going to be there. Yeah, the other point that I would bring up that could be really interesting is that you mentioned that the Clippers don't have great perimeter defenders, and that's definitely a factor. And the other thing is, while I think DeAndre is a little overrated defensively because I think he gambles a little too much and that leads to his block numbers being higher, they are better at defending, you know, rim protecting than other teams. But a non-Bogut Warriors team probably isn't going to care. They're just going to sit there and say, okay, we're going to try to make more threes than, or, you know, threes or shots in general than you guys. And that actually couldn't, could work out for them. The problem is going to be if the play calling gets more into the ISOs and post-ups instead of just basically going for full chaos and just going to more of even like a Phoenix system, just because that's, that's the David strategy, if you want to use that terminology. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, so what about uh, what about the four or five series? That's probably it seems like the one that no one is really talking about that Houston Portland series. I'm really excited for it. I think that Portland is a team that I think everybody at this point who follows it closely understands their flaws and you know and has given that plenty of lip service. But they're going to be a very interesting team for Houston because Houston has players and just generally sometimes has these defensive lapses and. Portland's a team that can capitalize on that. So it's another one of those where I could see it being a series where Portland wins a couple of games and Houston loses a couple. I think Houston's the clear favorite, but I don't think it's an open and shut case. Yeah, and and Dwight Howard, we haven't really seen him dominate a game, I don't think, since he came back from that ankle. We don't know what type of shape that's that's in. Patrick Beverly has shot okay, uh, but you have to imagine he's still at least going to be slow. I think the key to that matchup is going to be whether Damian Lillard can get his points against Beverly. Because if he can do that, I think Portland has a real nice advantage. Uh, they don't really have anyone to guard LaMarcus Aldridge. So if Aldridge and Lillard can get going, I think you could see the Houston defense really get torched. If Beverly can hold down Lillard really well, then Portland is, or, or is going to have a lot more trouble scoring and then I, then I think the advantage really shifts to Houston. So that's the that's what I'm going to be looking at is whether Beverly can stop Lillard in this series. That's an excellent point. Every year, somebody, whether it be that they're just not in the mainstream, but they're good, which is what I would say Stephen Curry was last year, somebody breaks out. Is there anybody that you, you've given any thought to to say, oh, this is somebody who could really make a name for themselves this playoffs? So you're thinking of someone who we're not thinking of a superstar who then – ascends to that level in the playoffs or one level down and moves up you know just basically somebody who makes a leap maybe more in fame than in talent it's it could be somebody like I mean Goran Dragic could have been that guy if Phoenix had made the playoffs the two most obvious examples to me are Kyle Lowry and perhaps even more so John Wall just because they're playing in relative anonymity in the east Everyone's been talking about how terrible the East is all year, you know, and there's been sort of a a renaissance in Toronto that not a lot of people have noticed. Kyle Lowry has been their best player by quite a bit. You know, he should really get some consideration for third-team All-NBA. Same thing with, with John Wall. And one of the few weaknesses in the Chicago defense is dealing with really quick dual penetrating point guards because Kirk Heinrich is a little too slow to, to do that at this point. And, DJ Augustin isn't quite strong enough. And if the Bulls shift Jimmy Butler over onto Wall, then, you know, they may struggle to guard Bradley Beal. So I think Wall 
potentially, especially if the Wizards were to upset the Bulls, might be a potential option there. And Lowry as well going against the Nets. So those are the two that come to mind just because they're not as well known and they have been real good over the regular season. If they just play as well as they play in the regular season and now they'll be in the national consciousness as a result of that, they could be the two breakout guys to me. I like both of those. The first person I thought of when I was thinking of the question was Kyle Lowry. I think that especially if Toronto wins that series, considering how much more famous Brooklyn is, that could be one. And in the West, the first guy I thought of was Chandler Parsons. I think that he has the benefit of not being the guy that's the straw that stirs the drink on their offense, but he's going to be facing a Portland team that isn't particularly strong defensively. And he might end up even being the guy, assuming they face the Spurs, who gets a lot of open looks. And so maybe he has like multiple 20-point games and people go, oh yeah, I forgot how good this guy is. And maybe even that could lead to some people stumbling onto the really interesting situation with his contract as well. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, well, that's, that's for our free agency preview, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks again to Nate Duncan for coming on. You can read him at basketballinsiders.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter at NateDuncanMBA. That's N-A-T-E-D-U-N-C-A-N-M-B-A. I'd also like to note that Nate went attended the Nike Hoop Summit last weekend, and we did an interview on that, which will be a part of a separate podcast that will be coming out in the next few days. So if it's not already out by the time you listen to this, just keep an eye out for it. It's going to come out. It's a lot of fun to do and a lot of good insight there if you're into the draft and you're into college basketball because all the American guys are going to college next year as opposed to being in this NBA draft. Next up, we have Shams Trania. He writes for Real GM. And we talked for about 15 minutes on what he expects to see in the coming playoffs. Thanks so much for coming on. Yep, appreciate it, Danny. Thanks. So we'll start with the Eastern Conference. What are your thoughts as we get started on the playoffs there? Yeah, I think, you know, compared to the West, obviously there's a lot less parity in the East. Uh, it's been like that the whole season where it's been top-heavy. But obviously teams in, you know, teams like Chicago, Brooklyn, Washington, they've really come on, and even Charlotte. So I think you know a lot of these series are going to be a lot closer than a lot of people predicted at the beginning of the season. You told many people at the beginning of the season, you know, Charlotte, Miami, that's a clear sweep. I think most people would say that. But I think, you know, the Bobcats could steal a game, maybe two. In the other series, I think the Bulls and Wizards, I think it's going to be a great series. Same with the Raptors and Nets. And I do think that the Pacers slide at the end of the season. I I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. I think they're going to be a little more motivated than they would have been if they had just breached in. So I think, you know, a lot of these series are going to be close, except for, you know, the 1-8 and then the 2 sevens. It's interesting to think about the possibility of a Chicago-Indiana series just because it seems like it could just end up being a mud fight just because both teams are susceptible to breaking down on offense but have phenomenal defenses. Yeah, I, I think I think that's what we're going to see, and I think I think if that does happen, it's going to be a really ugly series in terms of offense. I mean, a lot of these Western Conference games are going to make Indiana-Chicago look absolutely brutal on offense. And, and I think the Bulls have a lot of confidence against the Pacers. I definitely don't think they wanted to see the Heat. I know the Bulls, a lot of the players thought in the past few years that they could beat the Heat. But obviously the Heat have just crushed them in, in head-to-head battles. So I think I think a lot of these guys are confident that they can beat the Pacers. And I think if they do match up, I think the Bulls have a very good shot at winning that series. Well, I think we're probably pretty close to an agreement that the first-round series that might be the most interesting is Toronto against Brooklyn. Which of those teams do you think has a better chance against Miami, assuming they make it through? I would say the Nets, just because how tested they are. A lot of their main guys have been through 
grueling playoff series. A lot of people forget Derwin Williams has been in conference finals games before. Uh, obviously, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce has the championship pedigree. So I just think the Nets would give them a, a lot better challenge, and I think the Nets have the confidence that the Raptors wouldn't have. That, you know, we can beat Miami. So I, I think it would definitely be the Nets, but I just don't think the Nets are going to be able to get past the Raptors. I think even though the Raptors are young, a lot of these guys, this is the first time, but I think you know, with that home crowd, I think they'll be able to, they seem motivated too. So I think you know, a lot of these teams are motivated, obviously, but I think the Raptors, them, it being their first time here, I think they're going to win in seven games. That's my prediction for that series. So then, it, from what from what you're saying, it would then be Indiana, Chicago, Miami, Toronto, but I think you expect Miami to win. So what do you see as the most likely, obviously we can't guarantee it, but what do you see as the most likely Eastern Conference Final? I still say Miami, Indiana. I think Indiana is very susceptible to losing to Chicago, and, and I know a lot, of the, a lot of those guys think that Atlanta is going to give them a lot of trouble. I was listening to a Paul George interview from last night. He's talking up the, the Hawks as, you know, this great, balanced offensive team uh, with parentage, spacing the floor, giving Roy Hibbert trouble. But they were the eighth seed, and they only won 37 games for a reason. I think they've gone through a lot of injuries, a lot of up-and-down play from their key guys, guys like Jeff Teague sitting out some games, Paul Millsap. I, I do think in the end it's going to be Indiana and Miami. I think that's what everyone everyone thought that at the beginning of the season. Obviously, the Pacers fall, you know, diminish some hope in, in that finals. But I think the Pacers are just so talented, and it, it would just be hard to – Envision them losing to even Chicago uh, in the second round, you, you know, with home court advantage, something they've fought all year for. In that potential Indiana-Miami series, would I? If it seems like it would follow them that you think Miami would be the favorite in that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think Miami. Everyone talks about how you know this is this is going to be their fourth journey to the finals if they are able to make it. So they're going to be tired, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting because I think these first two rounds for them are going to be crucial. You know, it would be great for them. I know for a lot of their guys to get. To stay healthy, Dwayne Wade. We saw what happened in that la- one of the last matchups with the Pacers. He was just running down the court, and his hamstring just gets out on him. So I think the less amount of games it takes for them, the better. So I think they're going to have to get rid of Charlotte quick, and then the next series is going to be even more, even more difficult for them. As a fan, is there any Eastern Conference series, or which Eastern Conference series would you be most excited to see? I mean, I, I think just just the buildup we've had all year for Indiana and Miami. Uh, it would be a shame for that not to happen. It would, be, it would be a shame for Indiana to just collapse into the playoffs. Everyone's been disappointed, it seems, you know, with with the Pacers' demise, it seems. They were an amazing team to watch last year, really exciting in the playoffs, a lot of highlight plays. So I, I think it would just be a shame if Indiana's not able to pull it together and give us the Eastern Conference Finals that I think everyone really wants. And also along those lines, even though Brooklyn has been very strong against Miami so far this year, I think – Indiana, even with their struggles, stands as the biggest challenge to Miami in the East. So uh, it would kind of be a shame to have an Eastern Conference Finals that went in another direction because as great of a story as the Bulls are, because presumably they're the next most likely team to make it, that just is not an intriguing Eastern Conference Finals for me. Exactly. And, and, you know, the Pacers have the star power, too, that the Bulls don't have. I mean, the Bulls have Joakim Noah. They have a lot of parts around him, but they don't really have much stars. And I think that's the reason why, why Indiana is... They're susceptible to losing, you know, two, three games, possibly going to seven against the Bulls, possibly having the Hawks take them to six. But I just don't think, you know, talent wins out in the playoffs. Everyone knows that. When you have Roy Hibbert, Paul George, I mean, it's tough for you to lose a series against teams that are just so, you know, anemic offensively. 
Yeah, we're we're definitely in agreement there. Moving on to the West, in the in the more let's focus on the earlier rounds for right now. What intrigues you in terms of how everything shook out? I, I thought last night's game with Dallas and Memphis was huge. I think both teams, Dallas and Memphis, believe they can beat Oklahoma City just because of the success both of them have had in the past. Dallas beat Oklahoma City a couple of years ago, I believe. I think it was 2011. That was the year. 2011. I believe yeah, you're right. In the conference finals, they have the confidence. They have the they have the vets on that team. Kevin Durant's publicly said Dirk's one of his favorite players, so he he really looks up to him, respects him. So I think that game was big just to see who would be able to play the team that they they think they can beat. I think Memphis believes they can beat Oklahoma City. It did last year pretty easily. It seems like it has a good scheme to defend Kevin Durant. Obviously, things are going to be a lot more difficult now with Russell Westbrook back. So I think last night's game was really big, and I think it, I think if Dallas was able to win, I think they would have, have had a much better chance at beating Oklahoma City than they do San Antonio, which is just a well-oiled machine right now. Um, I think Golden State, L.A. is going to be hyped like no other. I think it's going to be the, probably the best first-round series, along with you know Toronto and Brooklyn in the East. Rockets, Blazers, I think the Blazers have made a really good run, and I think they can push it to six or seven. But the Rockets have just so much experience. Dwight Howard's been there, done that, and gone to the finals. James, same with James Harden. They have a seasoned bunch. So I think the Blazers' inexperience is going to show out, and I think the Rockets will be able to advance in that. So then, looking at the second round, are, do you see Houston as having a decent shot at all of upsetting the Spurs? I think so. I think they've had success against them in the regular season. Maybe I might be wrong, but it just seems like you know Dwight Howard, whenever he's played Tim Duncan in his career, played with confidence. James Harden, the Spurs don't really have an answer for him. They can throw Manu Ginobili, Danny Green at him. They just don't have an answer. Manu Ginobili, is, he's, he's past his prime now. Marco Bellinelli. He's not really known as as a one-on-one defender. He's a very good team defender. I just don't think any of those guys can keep up with James Harden. Um, And then they have advantages on the wing, too, with Chandler Parsons going up against Kawhi Leonard. Both are very similar players. So I I think the Rockets definitely have a chance. Um, And you never know what happens with with injuries. San Antonio obviously has to stay healthy to have have any shot. I think it'll be interesting to see if we see some cross-matching with Kawhi on Harden and then maybe have it. So I don't know if they'll have Chandler Parsons guard Kawhi, but just has some interesting potential matchups there and also how Houston chooses to use a power forward when San Antonio goes more traditional. Yeah, you're right. I actually didn't even that would be a good plan for them if that's the route they wanted to take, you know, putting Kawhi Leonard on James Harden and then having the having a guy like Danny Green or Marco Bellinelli take uh, Chandler Parsons. So I, I think that series has has potential to go 6-7. I think, you know, a lot of the West Conference series is going to be a, it's going to be a good series. I think all these series up and down, I, I would be very surprised if a team won in five games, much less a sweep. Dallas, even though they ended up getting San Antonio, and even though San Antonio has beaten them 4-0 in the regular season, I think, I think they could take a couple games at home. Golden State, L.A. has seven games written all over it. Oklahoma City, Memphis, I think. Oklahoma City with Russell Westerbeck, I think that would probably go like six. So, I, I, you know, I think a lot of these series have great potential to go very long. It's definitely going to be interesting. I, I The one that we disagree a little bit on, I think that Bogut's injury makes the Warriors a very beatable team. But we're looking forward, which team of Oklahoma City and the Clippers, presumably if they play in the second round, do you think poses a bigger threat to San Antonio in a potential conference finals? Oh, Oklahoma City. Uh, I think Oklahoma City is just so confident in beating San Antonio. And I think they have the team the makeup that and the discipline on defense just stifled the Spurs. And I think in the past, 
obviously they beat. I remember in the in the West Conference Finals. I'm sure you remember in 2012, San Antonio had won what 19 in a row, something like that, including the playoffs. They swept their first two series. They win the first two games against Oklahoma City, and then Oklahoma City just crushes them. Different rosters, different different season now, obviously. But I think Oklahoma City is so much more experienced, and I think there's a team that's going to knock off the Spurs. I I I pick Oklahoma City, and I think Oklahoma City can do it. So then, either way, if we're seeing that as the conference finals, either way, it's a rematch of one of the last two NBA finals. Do you think that both of those teams are favor would be favored against the Heat, or how do you see that shaking out between San Antonio, OKC, and Miami? It's just so tough because, in my eyes, last year's champion is the favorite until it goes down. So, I mean, if those two teams were to match up, I'd pick Miami, but I'm sure there would be a lot of room for debate, and I think... You could easily make a case for Oklahoma City or San Antonio. I mean, both teams would have such a hunger to them, so much motivation. Kevin Durant going for his first. You have San Antonio trying to avenge. It's just brutal loss. A loss, you know, I still can't believe to this day. I mean, I was at game six. It was just unbelievable how they lost. You had the tape come out. You had the trophy on the side in the tunnel. I mean, it was just it's just surreal that they still lost. And, you know, I'm just a fan. You know, I'm just a person in the media. So imagine how the players would feel. Obviously, they blocked it out. That's how they won 62 games this year. So I, I think both teams would be would have a lot of motivation. I think, I mean, there would be room for debate for for if you wanted to pick San Antonio or Oklahoma City. But in my eyes, the, unless the championship team is down, I would go with the reigning champs. That makes a lot of sense. One question I've been asking everybody is that it's a hallmark of the NBA playoffs that players make a jump in terms more of fame than of skill. Some from being really unknown to being household names and others from being household names to being stars or superstars. What guys stand out to you as potentially making one of those jumps? Well, in my mind, you know, a guy who would make that kind of jump would be someone who kind of advances a little further than the first round. Steph Curry did that last year, obviously. He got the Warriors past the first round. That's why, you know, he just completely blew up. Al Jefferson, you could, I guess you could make a case, but Charlotte's not going to last more than one or two wins, in my opinion, against Miami. So I would take him out. I think a guy on the Raptors has a really good chance of making himself into a household name if the Raptors can move on. You know, a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who the Raptors are a pretty big team up there, of course, but they've been given the cold shoulder on national TV games this year. So I think, you know, if DeMar DeRozan has a big playoffs, uh, he could put his name out there. You know, a guy like John Wall with the Wizards, you know, even though he's he's a relatively big name, and I think he's getting a lot of MVP love, but I think Blake Griffin has had one hell of a season. I think if he can just keep on doing what he's been doing, you know, putting up 24 and 10 with, like, four assists in the playoffs, and, and a lot of these guys, their numbers improve in the playoffs. So imagine if he goes for, what, 30, 12, and, like, five. Imagine if he goes – if he puts up those numbers in the first two rounds, possibly go to the conference finals, I think he could just emerge into, you know, an MVP. You know, I, I remember the year Kevin Durant, he went to the conference finals against the Mavericks, like we were talking about earlier. No one was talking about him as an MVP back then, but then the following season after he made that run to the conference finals, that's when everyone started picking him for the MVP. That's when everyone started making him a favorite for that award. And ever since then, you know, it's been he's been going into the season as, as one of the favorites. And then obviously LeBron's been winning all these. So I think if, if the Clippers are able to get to the conference finals, if Blake Griffin just dominates like he has been this whole season, I think it's kind of been overlooked because of how you know, balanced that team is, how great Chris Paul is. But I think he's been the best player on the team. And if he can keep doing what he's doing, he could supplant himself as, you know, an MVP favorite for next year.
Yeah, those are all really good, really good choices. Is there are there any other topics that you're thinking of that you'd like to share with the listeners? I would just say my finals pick uh, would probably be Miami. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure having you. Yeah, no problem, Danny. Appreciate it. Enjoy the playoffs. Yeah. Thanks again to Shams Tranier for coming on to share his predictions. You can read him on Real GM, and you can also follow him on Twitter at s h a m s c h a r a n i a. Next up and closing out this show is Arturo Goletti. Arturo is the writer for BoxScoreGeeks.com, and he's been on the show many times. And I loved having him on. We ended up talking for almost an hour, going into various things, and also at the very end is my favorite crazy hypothetical regarding this NBA playoffs. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Danny. How you doing? Doing well. So let's start with the Eastern Conference. And before we get into the nitty gritties of specific matchups, what your kind of general thoughts or major takeaways are from the way the things ended up turning out in terms of seeding? Well, I, I, I did an interview with Howard Beck earlier in the season where we were talking about how terrible the East was and, and how uninteresting it was going to be and how badly the teams were going to be. But actually, interestingly enough, I actually think every single matchup in the East now is interesting, particularly because, I mean, each every team in the East has a either a little flaw or a giant flaw, and the teams that have come up to like the five through eight seeds are teams that have some like interesting things going for them, right? So, so there's there's some real interesting matches. I don't think there's going to be a boring series in the East, which is kind of su- surprises the hell out of me from where we were like in the middle of the season. And so, of those series, so you got you also have a lot of interesting things in terms of if you want to call it momentum or whatever, because the Indiana Atlanta series is just fascinating because Atlanta has actually played pretty well recently, especially once they started getting their guys back from injury, and the Pacers struggled along but still got the one seed because of Miami. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the individual series, but I mean, I think what's interesting about that and what I've learned from picking. Uh, series is you have to really account for, and this is going to sound weird from a wins produced guy, but you have to account for the actual lineups. And what I mean by that is you have to think about if I'm looking at say like, and this is how I did really well when I pick, I picked Dallas to win when they beat Miami, and I picked them across that the entire playoffs. And the reason I did that was I looked at that team and said, what does the Dallas Mavericks look like when Dirk is playing for them, right? So, and it, it was a very different team when Dirk was playing for them and where Dirk, Dirk wasn't playing for them. And I think you almost, you have to kind of look at, okay, so was there a major trade for this team? Did something change, right? And if something changed, what does the team look like before and after that? And I think for a lot of these teams, right, you, you saw who they were much later. So Toronto, you know, they got rid of Rudy Gay and it became a completely different team. Uh, the Nets kind of like meandered around because they had some critical injuries, but then they found some guys and they found Sean Livingston, they found Plumley, and that made a huge difference for that team. And you know, you start looking at like the same thing with the Bulls, where they like found a whole different offense. So you you kind of have to figure out okay, which sample do I take? And and I think for this year, which is interesting, most of, I think pretty much every team I'm looking at who they are after the trade deadline, right? So I think that's really important. And, yeah, and you talked about the the teams that made big moves. And also, yeah, with Brooklyn, I think it was just finding their equilibrium. And then also they were dealing with a bunch of injuries. And so while they didn't get everybody back, obviously Brooke Lopez is still sitting. They're a very different team now than they were, let's say, the first month of the season. Yeah, and I think also people have to keep in mind that Paul Pierce seems to be on the on the Shaq kick where he, like, in the Shaq, and he, he, this is a bad habit he may have picked up from Rashid, where, like, he seems to show up not in shape for the season. And then he kind of plays himself into shape and, 
And, and the numbers that I saw for Pierce, for example, is he's a guy who's kind of met in the beginning of the season, but he's actually pretty good. He's been pretty good the last two, three months. And that's made a huge – and again, for that team, you know, they found Livingston, they found Plumlee, who are guys like, you know, they, they weren't counting on these guys. But right now, the, the, both those guys are in the top six of the rotation, and they're going to get, like, heavy minutes in the playoffs. And they're, they're, they've earned those heavy minutes in the playoffs. They absolutely have, and it's going to be interesting also the idea of playoff experience when you're going against a Raptors team that while a couple of guys have some, they have very little of that, but they're the higher seed in terms of the matchup. Well, that's a really interesting point. I mean, like, I, I used to, and, and again, as I said, I've been doing playoff picks for a while now, and playoff picks are really interesting because what I figured out is there's a couple things that happen. One, there is, I put in a playoff experience bias into my model, and it's about 4%, which is about half of home, home court. And that playoff experience bias kind of is, here's what happens. If you have the Nuggets playing the Lakers like three years ago, right, the, the Nuggets aren't going to get any single, they're not going to get any calls. And, and it's, it's partly because, you know, they've never been there before. And it's kind of been shown that the refs kind of tend to whistle more favorably to teams with experience. So if you have the Nets playing the Raptors, the Nets are going to get every single call. They're a large market. They've got guys with playoff experience. And, and, and it's not that the mythical playoff experience factor that I'm putting, it's really kind of, you know, there is a bias against guys who have less experience and are not going to get the calls. Think about James Harden in the finals against Miami. He couldn't get a single call in that finals, and they just completely took him out of his game, right? And again, it's partly because he hadn't been on that stage and historically, it's been shown that the older teams do better. The teams that have experience do better. So you have to kind of figure that in. And, and again, the Toronto series is very interesting because Toronto is the only favorite team that really has the, 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 the playoff experience bias going against them. And, and actually, you also have to do something similar with coaching. And for coaching, it's about half that. And for coaching, they're the only, uh, you know, they're the only seed that also has, you know, the higher seed that has the coaching factor going against them. I, I really don't like Dwayne Casey. Oh, so you mean the Wizards aren't going to be helped by having Randy Whitman as their coach? Uh, no, the, 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 the Wizards are not going to be helped by, by having Whitman. I think Whitman and Casey, I mean, are, are, are just, there's some monumentally bad coaches. I mean, I think if Toronto had a, decent, a better coach and the Wizards had a better coach, those, both those teams would be close to 50, 51 wins more than the were. They were actually more like 52, 53, 54 wins. I mean, that that's... I've you've watched some of those games, you know. I, I I was telling people that the Wizards are going to be the team that they're going to lose a game. They're going to lose a game to Chicago that you're going to watch and you're going to watch it back and you like, how in the world did they lose this game, right? It'll be something they'll be up twenty twenty five points and they'll end up losing by five. You'll be like, how in the world did they just do that? Or they're because I covered them last year and then I've I've followed them fairly closely this year and the, the thing about them is that they also not only do they have those leads that they'll blow but they'll have a quarter where you'll just sit there and go oh wait did they just score fifteen or twenty points and and their offense can just look so bad and against the Bulls that's going to happen more often. Well, but the thing about that, that that is it isn't what's really crazy is they're like a, a guy who's playing Street Fighter but he doesn't want to be cheesy. So he's got these, <laughs> he's got these four or five moves that work, but he's like, no, he's too proud to use. He, he's not going to use the shuriken. He's not going to use the fireball, and that's really geeky of me. But he's not going to use those two moves. He's going to beat you with like, like with these things that are uncommon, and because he wants to win with class. And I just watch him go like, dude, just, just, just throw the ball down to Gortat. You've got Beal in the corner. Have Wall just go straight at the basket. I mean, there are four or five moves. Put in an A and like do a pick and post. There are four or five moves they can do, and they're incredibly effective. But for whatever reason, they start like shooting these mid-range jumpers and doing these crazy ISO stuffs 
that you're like, what the hell's going on? It's actually painful to watch Wizards games if you actually know what you're – if you know anything about plays, it's painful to watch it. As soon as you said that, not only did I agree with it, but I immediately thought of the other team that I cover a lot, which is the Warriors. And they do the same thing where they walk away sometimes from what they do best. Yeah, but that's that's on Mark. I mean, Mark, I debated this, but I gave I had to give Doc the edge because Mark will – I mean, it, the, the series of circumstances that had Mark Jackson facing George Carl – and not having one of his big men and, and kind of put, going into, like, a strategy where, like, you know, he basically went to small ball. And, it like, you know, putting small ball in front of George Carl is like waiting like a red flag in front of a bull, you know. And, 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 and Carl basically, to his detriment, chased him. And then, like, he eventually figured out that he just needed to go, like, play his best guys. And then he almost got it back. But, again, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, unless you, unless you get Golden State playing Oklahoma in the second round, that's, that's a matchup of, like, mental giants. Okay, but let's go back to the East into the first round. How do you see all that shaking out? Well, I think let's talk about the least interesting one. I mean, I, I feel really bad for the Bobcats in that that if I, initial like like two weeks ago it looked like it was going to be the Bobcats and the Pacers and that was going to be an interesting series. Bobcats and Miami is not really an interesting series. I think Miami is heavily favored. They've got you know they're they're the better team. They're going to get every single call in that series, and they've got a much better. I mean, I don't think the Charlotte coach is bad, but he's never been there, and I think. At this point, you have to consider Spo one of the best coaches in the league. So I think it all goes Miami's way. Now, somebody was saying on Twitter that, no, no, Miami's going to get it in four. But I'm like, no, no, Miami doesn't sweep people. They swept – the only sweep they've done in the Big Three era is against the Bucks, And that, yeah. that Bucks team may have been the worst playoff team in my life, right? So so I, I think the, the, the Bobcats are going to win a game in this series. I mean, Big Al will get him, will get him a game. That will be the length of it. I, I would be really surprised if it goes six. If it goes six, either like – Bosch tweaked an ankle, Wade can't walk, or like something strange happened in this series. I think so. You you, you say, look, Miami Miami wins that wins that cleanly. I think it's Miami it's Miami in five, and it's fairly standard. They'll blow a game, but but they'll win in five. So we'll move from there to the one that we discussed a little bit, which is Pacers Hawks, which is um, I think you think it's a more interesting series than some people do. I I would I mean I if I was setting the line and again it, when Vegas sets these lines, people have to understand that what Vegas is trying to do is they're trying to draw even money on both sides, so they're not setting what they think the the odds are. They're setting what they think in terms of of getting that. So right, we were talking about this. I basically see this series as even. And this is basically, if you look at what the Pacers and the Hawks have been after the trade deadline, these teams are dead. Actually, the Pacers have the worst numbers of any team in the playoffs after the trade deadline. And and you really kind of have to look at, they've been really bad. I've seen them kind of get destroyed on national TV multiple times. So you kind of have to see that, you know, I think the Hawks, the problem is like, you kind of don't know exactly who the Hawks are. And they, they've been they've been kind of messing around a little bit. I you know I kind of wish Horford was coming back. If Horford was coming back, I'd have the Hawks in this series. I think right now it's Indiana and seven because again, and it's Indiana and seven because I'm giving them if they were just playing a game, I would probably pick. The, I would say the Hawks on a neutral court. I'd say the Hawks would be favored. But I think the playoff experience is going to help. Indiana's going to get every single call in the series. Their coach is really good. So I, I mean the Bogle is a really good coach. So those two things. You know, actually, the the I have the series. I mean, like I have the the win for a higher seed at like fifty three percent. So this is kind of I I see this going along. I see NBA TV getting a lot of uh, of first round playoff games from this series. But I mean, I don't think it's going to be particularly bad. I think the Hawks are actually much. The Hawks are the, the Hawks really are a forty five to forty eight win team, 
And if Horford was healthy, they're more like a 50-win team. But the problem is, again, they, they were they were they're banged up for the entire season. But in stretches, I mean, we thought they were dead, but they, you know, we thought at one point they were tanking, but they came back. So I, I think this is going to be a much rougher series than, than than people think. Now, again, I'm willing to, as the playoffs roll around, I'm willing to give uh, credit to Indiana for the entire season if they prove to me in this first round that they they are who they were early on in the season. But right now, I, I'm going to treat them exactly like how they're playing. And so we'll move from there to the team that whoever wins that series will face in the first round, which would be the winner of Chicago and Washington, which is fascinating for a couple of different reasons. Well, I mean, I think this is the biggest coaching mismatch of, of any of the series, you know, and, 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 and I don't say that lightly because, you know, we, we have Dwayne Casey involved as well. But but I do think that, you know, I think Tibbs is going to basically work uh, Whitman like a speed bag. And, and I think, you know, and I think we were talking about this a little bit, like the, the Wizards do dumb things and the Bulls eat people who do dumb things, right? So, I mean, I think this is going to be really bad for the Wizards. I think the, the worry with the Bulls is the Bulls have this tendency to break down like an old car in the playoffs, right? So, like, the last few years, like, everybody's gone down for this team. You know, we, we, we keep waiting for, for Noah to, to, to get hurt or somebody. If this team is healthy, they can, they, they're can they definitely a much better team than the Wizards. And, I, you know, I, I see this. This is a this should be uh, Bulls in five. It, it might be even be in four, depending. Because I think, also, you have to consider, like, the, the Wizards are happy to be here, right? I think the Wizards... Basically, like making the playoffs for them was like making the finals, right? So I think at this point they're they're just gonna you know they're 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 probably gonna roll over and and again it's a young team they're gonna do dumb things. I think they're gonna compete somewhat at least in one of these games and get one of the, uh, one game, but but more than five is is stretching it for the series. And the other balance for the Bulls is that they're gonna I mean they're they're very disciplined and well coached and all that, but I think they're gonna be looking ahead a little bit to the Pacers because of how it worked out. I, I think they were. A lot of Bulls and their fans were probably expecting, oh, they're going to get Miami and all that. But now they need to conserve and everything so that they're peaking for their second round series well, because it, now they they have a shot at it. If it was anybody with Tibbs, but Tibbs is insane. Tibbs is going to like Tibbs is going to play Jimmy Butler like 44 minutes a game in the series. No, it's Tibbs. He, he's he's not he's not looking past anybody. He never does. And he's not resting anybody for for anything. He he never does. He never does. He never has. You would think he would, but he never has. It's like George. You keep thinking. I used to joke. like I keep thinking George Carl is going to play shorter rotations in the playoffs, but he doesn't. And I you keep thinking that that Tibbs is going to kind of lay off. And no, no, Tibbs is going to play as hard as he can in this series. And I think you know. I think the Wizards are just really not ready for the kind of uh, intensity that the Bulls are going to bring to the series. Well, and the other thing about Bulls Wizards is that. Jimmy Butler could be a very effective defensive weapon because the Wizards basically only have two guys who can create at all on offense. And so if you have a guy as destructive as Jimmy Butler, you could do some really interesting things with him in terms of Beal and Wall. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a really bad matchup for the Wizards. I think they would have been much better off getting the Raptors. I think that would have been interesting. But again, I, I, I think I said, the, I said the Pacers are probably the uh, records, record-wise and point, uh, point differential-wise the weakest team in the uh, playoffs. The Wizards are the only team that, that – I think the Wizards are the worst, right? I think once you figure in all the coaching mismatches and disadvantages, I think the Wizards have, would have no shot against any of the – I don't think the Wizards could get more than one game against any of the other teams in the playoffs. Wow. And, and honestly, wow. I mean, and that's – I mean, I mean that even against like – well, maybe the – I think the, a series with the let, – let's be fair. A series with the Hawks would probably go seven, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that was the one. And I think they could beat Charlotte in the series just because Charlotte's offense, Big Al would basically have to provide their entire team. I, because I, I, Emma, 
I think Big Al kills them. I I, I could I, I couldn't see it. I think the the Bobcats play. They, they're like they're like uh they're like um the Pacers and the Bulls like three or four years ago. They play their defense is too rough. They can't sink a shot in the ocean, but but their defense is too rough for the Wizards. We already talked about it a little bit, so I don't think we need to go into too much depth. But what are you thinking on Toronto Brooklyn? Well, again, as I said, I think Toronto is a very interesting team. They're a very young and exciting team. Uh, I I actually thought if they'd gotten the right draw, they would have been like a real danger to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, depending on how the draw. They they basically had to get like not get the Nets and like if they got the Wizards and say the Pacers, and that was their path, I I would have really been. Kind of thinking they're they're a sneaky shot to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now getting the Nets is a bad thing because as hard as Toronto plays and Toronto plays hard every night, they like if you watch this team, I've watched this, they play hard. Their coach is not great, right? So that team plays great. I don't love their coach, so there's a playoff, there's a disadvantage there, and also the experience. I mean, Brooklyn has buckets of playoff experience, right? So I, I do think this is a very close series. I think uh, I've got it. The most likely outcome is a losing six. So. Brooklyn winning in six this series, and then the Raptors winning in seven is, is the second most likely. Now, it's interesting because it's kind of hard to figure what the Nets rotation is going to be. So the trick is, how, mu- how many minutes is Kevin Garnett going to play for this team, right, for the Nets? Who's going to be their top six, and how much does Garnett actually have in his, in, in his tank? And I think kind of if you figure that, because what I'm concerned about for them is, like, if Garnett really isn't Kevin Garnett, and they basically bump Plumley. And they're playing this oldster lineup against like a really young, fast-paced Toronto Raptors team. It's going to get like bad really quickly. And and again, what you're kind of banking on is that Jason Kidd's going to be smart enough to say, no, 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 you know, Sean Livingston and and Plumlee and these guys are the guys who brought me here, and I should stick with like you know, I should stick with Duran, Joe Johnson, Pierce, Plumlee, Livingston, and then yeah. probably like you know, Karolinko is my sixth man. Is might be the best bet if if Kevin Garnett isn't there. And, it, and the trick is, Jason Kidd going to be able to figure that out fast enough as a rookie coach, right? So, on, I mean, again, I'm, I'm tentatively saying that the pick should be the Nets in six. And the other reason is, like, you know, I actually don't think the league office – if the league office has to pick between having Toronto in the second round and the Nets were, like, the only New York or LA market team in the playoffs in the second round, tell you what, I think the network's affiliates are going to want the Nets in the second round. Yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. I'll add in that the Clippers are oh, are, are going to true. The Clippers are in there. I forgot. I forgot about the Clippers. You know, people do sometimes. But so let's go. Let's kind of we can breeze through it a little bit in terms of the the Eastern Conference second round and the, who you think is going to make their make the finals from the East. Well, I think th- then it becomes really interesting. I think then you have the Bulls and the Pacers in uh, in round two, and I think you know unless the unless the Pacers prove something, you know, prove to me that they're a completely different team, or, or they're back to where they were, I think the Bulls should be favored in that series. And the Bulls, uh, I mean, I would probably say the Bulls in six is probably my pick in that series. You know, and again, this is, I don't know what the rotations are going to be. I don't know which Pacers team is going to show up. But right now, I'd have to think the Bulls would be the favorite. We should have to be the favorite. At least, again, this is not the betting favorite. This is who should be the favorite in that series, if you, if you know what you're, if you're looking at. And again, really, if, if guys, you're looking at it, if the Pacers need more than six games to kill the Hawks, right, they should not be favored against the Bulls. Really. They, yeah. They shouldn't be. Now, the, the other series is more interesting. I mean, again, I think the, the, the thing to watch with Miami is, is, is one, of, one of the contenders always gets hurt. Every single year, if you look back, there's a contender that gets hurt. Miami's got the most mileage, and they're one of the older. I mean, I don't know. I think Brooklyn's a little older, 
But, I mean, I think Brooklyn actually has found some younger parts to kind of plug in. I think Miami's kind of, you know, it's all it's, it's LeBron, uh, Wade, and Bosch. And really, everybody else is kind of, you know, secondary and, and much older. And I think Miami's worse than they were last year. The worry for Miami is to stay healthy. So if LeBron goes down or Wade goes down, that's a real problem. And, again, I think a series with the Nets is interesting because the Nets, like, do uh, – the Nets style – and and you can if you're curious you can go listen to there there's a Powell Bob Bulgaras kind of breaks it down on the BS report he just did where he talks about how the, the styles for the Nets are really something that gives the Heat problems they've seen it their season I would say that's a close series I actually think I think Miami's the best team but I think it goes seven for I mean like there's you know the, the, I've said this before like I think I think LeBron James has gotten thrown out of a game for fouls four times in his career and twice it's been in the playoffs in a game that would stretch the series and, like, make everybody in the league office a lot more money. And, and not a big – you know, there, there's some incentives in play. I think that series goes seven. I think Miami in the end wins unless there's a major injury to Miami. And I think that sets up a Miami-Chicago fi- uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And, again, I think that's interesting because that gives you a Miami-Brooklyn series and it gives you a Miami-Chicago series in the, uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals in terms of, like, um, markets and, like, shares. And then the other thing about that that's interesting is, well, I, I think that Miami would dispatch Chicago pretty cleanly, barring the injury hypothetically you talked about. You're talking about a couple of series that are pretty bruising for them, and we've all we've talked about the Western Conference that that whoever comes out of that's going to have gone through at least two battles. But physically, Miami as an older team going through theoretically Brooklyn and Chicago, or even if it's Indiana, will that'll be tough for them. Well, Miami, and again, this is the fourth run. And Miami has looked mortal in this run in terms of, like, injuries and, like, being banged up and whatnot. Now, and, and I've mentioned this before, which is, which is there, there's some medical advantages in the, uh, in the playoffs. I think the last – I think they already – they may have already had the last drug test for the season. So, like, if, if you're relying on pharmacopoeia to get you through uh, some of the aches and, and pains, there's some advantages in the playoffs. And that will favor the Nets and the Heat. But I think the Heat's enemy is time in themselves, right? So, I mean, the Heat – should be favored. They're the best team in the East. But again, wear and tear is what's going to be their enemy. And I think the like the going through the and again you're underrating the Bobcats. The Bobcats are a really good defensive team. The Bobcats are going to grind the Heat, and they're they're like a, they're like a big bruising team as well. So the Bobcats are going to grind them. The Nets are going to grind them, and then the Bulls are definitely going to grind them. And I think you know the Bulls have a better than a punters. I mean, I, I would say both those the Nets and the Bulls series have a real shot at going seven. And I think, you know, I think, you know, and the Heat fans are going to hate this, but, like, I, I think, you know, I'd have the field. If, I, if, if I'm picking the field against the Heat, I'm saying the field has something like a has, – has a better than 50% chance of winning. So you, we have – and we have something like maybe a 60% chance of, like, the Heat not making the finals, right? And, again, this is with the Pacers sucking, right? So this is with me thinking the Pacers are not any good. I just think the fact that the gauntlet they have to run through and, like, kind of the miles – and we know Wade is banged up, and we know LeBron's been a little banged up as well. So there's a what what happens if, if, if LeBron tweaks an ankle, right? So that's this is this is the most interesting. You know, you could see you could see the Bulls and you could see the Bulls, you could see the Nets in the finals. But I mean, I think right now my pick is the Heat in the finals. But I mean, with some heavy caveats that like really this is probably if they made the finals, I would this is probably the most impressed I would be if they make this fourth finals of all the finals they've made. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and I think that the combination of injuries and age, I think that the field, to a point, has caught up with them in just kind of a couple of different ways at the same time. But we'll move on to the West, and just an absolute gauntlet, even though I think that 
my personal favorite first round series got weakened substantially by Bogut going down. Yeah, that's that, that's a mortal blow. I mean, I think that's you know, whereas before I think I would have had that dead even. I think right now I, I have right now I have the Clippers in five is, is the most likely scenario for that series. And again, they have I, I gave Doc Rivers as a slight coaching edge on Mark Jackson, and I think for obvious reasons, I think Doc has the experience. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to place this guy. I think Mark does have a tendency to do some weird things. And I think this is where, where, where the weird things helped him against George Carl last year. I think if he gets a little strange and decides to go small against the Clippers, if at any time David Lee is your five against the Clippers, then you're down a very, very dark path that's not going to work. I mean, I think that's, that's, and I think that's the danger. I think like the idea of like David Lee having to cover Blake Griffin in the playoffs should frighten the crap out of any Golden State fans. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm going to say, I mean, I think that's, that should be, the Clippers are really good. The Clippers, I would say, are probably the second best. The Clippers might be the second best team in the league. Uh, right now, and the problem is they're going to have to go through like like number three and number one to uh, to get to the finals is the problem. I was going to say I I actually I disagree to a point on the idea of going small. I think that it's it's interesting to use the phrase David strategy, but I wouldn't have David Lee guard Blake Griffin under any circumstances. I would do other weird stuff and handle it more in a collective way and stick David Lee on DeAndre Jordan as much as humanly possible. Yeah, because. Leon Griffin is just going to be a train wreck. Yeah, but the problem is like with with the problem is like you've got Blake handling the ball and you've got Chris Paul playing off the ball now, which is just really scary. And like you know, if you if you have Blake driving, and you have Bogut, you can do something about it. If you don't, then you know I I just I really don't see how what is the Warriors' answer to Blake, right? So what do you do? I mean, I think that's that's the biggest problem, and I think that's taking Bogut out is huge because Bogut was your rim protection, and Bogut really kind of Secretly, if you've got Bogut and you've got Iguodala, then man, you're a killer team. I, I I would love that team in the playoffs because you can you can you can destroy somebody on the wing and you can basically destroy them on the post. It's kind of what Duncan and, and and Leonard do for San Antonio, but without Bogut, then it just falls down because you know then you rely on Jermaine O'Neal to kind of you know so Jermaine O'Neal has got to handle Blake, right? And man, I I can't see it. I, I, I can't either. It, 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 and it's sad because I thought that was really going to be – I thought the Warriors were going to be the clear series. And But, again, I was thinking they've got Bogut. And I think – you know, and it's also a bad matchup. If they're getting – Houston might be more interesting. If they're getting Oklahoma, it would probably be a better matchup. I think the Clippers are probably, other than San Antonio, the West, worst matchup they could have gotten in the first round. That's interesting. So now that that one's diminished, what is your most intriguing first-round series in the West? Oh, Houston-Portland. And, and I was I was saying this on Twitter. I think like you know even okay here's the thing, Houston is a better team than Portland. Houston has the two best players in the series. They're really good. They're really deep. But here's the thing. I, I was saying that Portland has very uh, they have many female dancers who are in need of uh, charity, and the uh, the Rockets are very charitable gentlemen, right? So <laughs> so the, the problem being that you know I've seen you remember the Houston Chicago game on national TV. I do. Where, like, the, the, the Rockets looked like they were all suffering, suffering from the stomach flu? Yeah, and they have those games where it's not even like they beat themselves. It's just that they just completely implode, which is crazy in a playoff season. Well, the problem is, like, they like – apparently they like they – like the, they really like the nightlife is what I keep hearing about this team. And, and that's a problem. Portland has decent I, – I have a feeling – I have a feeling that that basically Houston's going to give away a game in this series. Like my 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 most likely scenario is 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 Houston in five in this series. But I'm actually going with the second most. I'm thinking this thing goes six, and I think I think Houston's going to blow a game they shouldn't blow. Now again, here's the thing: 
James Harden is a playoff killer. Other than the finals, he's been amazing and fantastic in the playoffs. And he steps up his game, and he's just destroyed. And he's been fantastic in the second half of the season. I think Dwight's much healthier than he's been. This team is this team is better than Portland. The problem is that they're also, you know, I, I kind of think the, the the Rockets have to suffer some pain. They're not going to win the title this year. They have to go through some growing pains, and they're not. Everything I hear is they're not they're not locked in. And I worry that that's going to make the series more interesting than it should be. And I think, again, I think Portland is really interesting because Portland's going to, you know, these games are going to be crazy high scoring. There's going to be lots of three-point shooting. People are going up and down, like some exciting kind of matchups. It's going to be it's like the crowds, both the crowds for those, for, for, those, uh, for those teams are interesting. But as I said, I mean, I would, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm a fan of Puerto Rican national team, and we have a tendency, like, we would, we'll win the big game, and then we'll show up the next game with a stomach flu, Right. Kind of the euphemism is like they like to go out and party after the big win, and then they, they don't necessarily take care of themselves, and they they stay out till four in the morning, and then they show up for the matinee game looking like the Knicks in the matinee game. So you you have to kind of that's I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun series, but I think it's going to the Houston's going to make it more interesting than it needs to be is is my feel on that series. Actually, and and that really that's probably and and I underrate this is not going to be the tightest and closest series in the West though. Yeah, and I was thinking about you talking about the idea of what teams are like after the trade deadline, and that must bode incredibly well for Memphis in terms of your model. Yeah, no, I think Memphis-Oklahoma is the tightest. It's probably, I think, is going to be the best series in terms of the level of basketball, like two teams, the best two teams, the closest team playing. And here's a couple things. I think, and again, I didn't give, either team, neither team gets a playoff experience bias advantage. Uh, Neither team really gets a coaching edge because, you know, as much as I don't like Scotty Brooks, and probably this is the last time in the playoffs that Scotty Brooks is not going to be the other coaches have the same kind of problem that he does because he's, he's inexperienced. In any other round, I would treat Scotty Brooks as as a minus. But I'm accounting for this. Here's the thing: Memphis is going to, with their big men, they're going to tempt Scotty to get down in the mud. And you know, I'm saying he's he's going to want to play a lot of perky fish. There is going to be a lot of perky fish in this series. And I think you, you have to kind of assume that. I think Oklahoma probably has – Oklahoma has the two best players in the series. And maybe you could argue, well, it's arguable that they have the third as well. But I think the trick is that Brooks is going to try, try to do some things that he shouldn't do. I think the right lineup for this series should be, you know, Adams and Collison. But he's going to go with Perkins, and it's going to get him in trouble. Right? He's going to slow it down and get into, into a – Fist fight with the with the Grizzlies, and I think this thing this thing's gonna go seven, and I, I think it's gonna be a fun seven games. I mean, it, it might go six, but I think this thing goes seven. I wish Memphis had a reliable swingman scorer because that would totally change the dynamic of the series. Well, and it, it, it's it's what happens if you watch the problem with Memphis is if you watch any Memphis any of the last Memphis San Antonio games, right? Here's the problem with Memphis: if the other team is willing to say, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pack the middle." We're going to pack the post, and you're not getting any points in the post. You're going to be able to shoot anywhere else on the court, but you're not getting any points in the post. Then Memphis has a real problem, and because they, they don't have any guys that can, like, shoot from distance consistently. And I think, you know, the problem with them is, like, you know, really, if, if they get in a series with San Antonio or Houston, they're I mean, I think the pre- preseason at one point, I, I remember saying Houston went a seek Howard against them, and Memphis just had absolute – they really had nothing they could do to that. Right? They, they're just kind of, you know, just like, it's fine. The only way you beat us is if somebody, like, you know, has a has an insane shooting night, and I think that's Memphis's problem. I, I think you know they're, they're they're this team is like they're really one shooter away, right? So if they had that that one shooter, like if you had any of the five shooters that the Clippers have, right? 
So <laughs> the Clippers, I think partly the Clippers went out and got all these three-point shooters so the Memphis wouldn't get them. Their flaw. But against Oklahoma, Oklahoma doesn't really have that killer three-point threat, and they're going to be they're going to want to get into the mud with them just because that's the way Scotty coaches. So but it, it's going to be a little bit of a throwback series. It's going to be fun. It's going to be rough, I think. And a series that's going to be rough but probably not going to be fun. I, I can't see Dallas having any sort of a chance against San Antonio. Now, right now I've got, I've got the sweep at 60% right now for that series. And, again, I'm assuming that both these teams know what they're doing in the playoffs. I'm assuming the coaches are even. I mean, but, but San Antonio's just been in just – just been crazy. And I think people are like, no, it's like the, the whole, oh, they went 0-4 against the Rockets. I mean, I watched the game, at least particularly the last game against the Rockets. Like, they had a chance to win that game. And Pop was like, it's like, ah, oh, screw it. I want to start running isolation plays for Boris Diaw, right? So, and, and, and the most telling thing about that, I don't know, did you watch that Rockets this first game? I don't think I watched the last one, it, no. it was interesting. Like, the last three or four minutes, the Spurs were running this offense. And the Spurs, the Spurs, looked like they had no clue what they were doing running the sets, like they'd never run that set before even in practice. So you could you could tell that basically Pop was basically just – it was a big F you to, to Portland because if he lost that game, Portland was basically – like Houston was getting the, the, the home court advantage, so it, he wasn't even trying. And, again, it's the same thing with the, with the Thunder, the last two games with Thunder, where you kind of look at them and go like, well, I saw the first – the one game Cowley went down, so he, they had him. He had Durant covered. He's the guy who covered Durant. He was doing really well. Then he basically was down the second half. And in the other game, he took him out in the second half. He's like, nah, screw it. This Cowie can just stay sitting, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run these weird lineups. And, and he kind of admitted in an interview that he's taken this regular season to kind of, like, test out some weird stuff, right? So let, let me test out some interesting – let me see what happens if I put Diaw on Durant for, like, five minutes, right? So, and again, I think San Antonio is the better team. Dallas can't protect the rim, and I think they have real defensive deficiencies, and it's not going to go well. And, I mean, I think, you know, and I've said this, you know, I really, in, in his heart of hearts, I think Mark uh, Cuban kind of regrets letting Tyson Chandler go. Because, you know, could you imagine that Dallas, this, you meant this Dallas team with Tyson Chandler, right? Like, throw, I mean, they have all this offensive firepower, but if they could actually stop people at the rim, jeez, they would be like, they would be a monster team. And it, Yeah, and... And they have another factor, which is, you know, that basically what they did is they created an offense, I think about it, because it's not too different from what the Warriors had when they had Curry and Monte together. Mm-hmm. You, you create a sieve and you have a trade-off, but so you can, you can do, and that's actually what they've done with Bogut, you can get a guy who solves some of those mistakes. But what they've done is they basically put all of that into Dallenbear and question marks, and it's incredible to me that they aren't the worst defensive team in the league. I mean, it's not. I watched some of the some some that are worse. I mean, the Knicks still are, are around, but I, I, I think the the truth is in a series against San Antonio. I mean, like I can just see Kyrie Leonard's just going to post the hell out of the out of the. He's going to post them up, and you know, Splitter's going to have like a, a big series, and, and they just it, it's just bad luck, and they didn't have a bad season. It's just the the, the West was so tough that you know if Dallas it, look if Dallas was in the East. I think we'd be talking about the possibility of Dallas going to the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe even the Finals, right? So I, I would I would think that Dallas would be something like either they'd be a two or three seed in the East, right? And and you would have to take them extremely seriously. They're just in a conference that's just and again I think you could probably say that for any team in the West, but I mean it's just not favorable to what they were trying to do. I mean I, I know what they were trying to do. I understand that. I thought they were the dark horse team in the league in in at the beginning of the season. I just thought they needed to figure out how they're going to defend the. Uh, the middle, and they never did. Yeah, and the logic that you used in terms of San Antonio-Dallas to me applies in the second round to San Antonio-Houston in the fact that 
when you don't have transcendent athletes against the Spurs, I feel like top-heavy teams are really vulnerable well, against them. Here's the thing. Houston ran their best possible lineup in the last game they played against the Spurs. The Spurs ran basically like their third-string guys. And not, not only they ran their third-string guys, they had, they had that game tied with like three minutes left. And then they said, screw it. And Pop said, screw it. You know what? I, I don't want Portland in the second round. Right, so I'm gonna give you home court. Here's let me start running these boys. As I said, Boris Diaw, ISO post plays. So San Antonio is not worried about Houston at all, and I think it, it's not a. I mean, again, I think Houston has to go through the pain of getting of losing to San Antonio before before getting to the next level. I think this is the seed. I you know I, I see the progression for Houston is they win the first round, a tough series. They get their their doors blown off by by San Antonio, and they come back hard next year. And, and play much more focused. I mean, it, it, this doesn't mean I don't think that Houston has a talent. I just don't think they have the kind of the, the whole package to put together this year. And then on the other side of that bracket, it's the Oklahoma City Memphis winner, presumably against the Clippers. How do you see that shaking out? <sighs> that's that's a really interesting series. I mean, I think that's, I would say that's probably the closest. I, as I said, I think... The the Clippers are close to being the best, the second best team. They also don't have the experience. So in that series, if we're looking at the Thunder and the and and the Clippers, the the Clippers have the like raw point margin advantage. They also have, I think, playoff edge goes to the Thunder, but coaching edge goes to the Clippers, right? So the Thunder have home court. Honestly and truly, that one's going seven, right? And if I had to pick, gun to my head, I would probably pick the Clippers. This is the series I would, I really, this is the one I'm going to spend the most, the most time on in the second round. And really, it's just because it comes down to look. Chris Paul is going to make. Chris Paul has to make a, a conference finals, right? I, I think it's it, it's going to happen. I think we kind of underrate him. He's been playing it like we know Chris Paul has a has a has like different gears. And really, he's been playing in fourth gear the entire season. I don't think we 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 have not seen like you know Chris Paul at his like at the height of his powers. I think only like the the couple games where they blew out the, the Lakers where he was pissed off. I think we're going to see pissed off Chris Paul in that series, and I think that's going to be the difference in that series. I think that's the matchup you got to watch. And I think I don't think Russ is quite ready to take the crown from Chris Paul. And the thing that people forget sometimes is I think it's pretty clear that Chris Paul is the third best player in the world. And I think that it gets lost in the shuffle sometimes because of injuries and everything else. And people talk about the Blake Griffin for MVP and all that yada, yada, yada. But Chris Paul is absolutely incredible. And he's he's also the best player in the league other than Durant, who's going to get it now, who hasn't won an MVP. Well, he should have in 2008. And I think, and again, yeah. I think... And again, he understands how to temper himself and pace himself, right? And he's, he's been playing off the ball. He's been doing all, all these silly things. We also, you know, we also haven't seen the Clippers at full strength either, right? So it, it, it's kind of, I think they're the be, they're the they're better than the Thunder, right? And they, they don't have home court in that series, but I do think they're going to take it, right? I think it's I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a bloody war. And I think that's that's it's going to be a fascinating series. I do think again in that series, if 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 Scotty Brooks goes to Perkins, that's going to be a real problem, right? So I mean that's that's going to be a real problem because it's it, it's one thing. Perk Perk is 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 great if you're playing Howard, but if you're playing Blake, that's not good. 
you talked in the Eastern Conference about the balance between the Heat versus the field. How do you see that in the West with the Spurs versus the field? Honestly, I, I, the Spurs, to give you an idea, if I'm doing points, point margin, like post the trade deadline, uh, versus the playoff teams, the Spurs are plus 8.5 points versus the average playoff. This is one side just for rotations and pace. So you honestly have you have to consider the Spurs a prohibitive favorite, even even with the fact that like the the Thunder have won the four game, but the four regular season games the Spurs weren't going weren't going full speed. They haven't gone full speed since the, the finals. I think we forget that this team came within like an inch of winning, like millimeters of winning the title. So I think you have to think that the Spurs they're better than I think they're better than last year too. I, I would say that it's something more like. Where I said the field should be favored versus Miami, here it should be something like the Spurs 65% to make the finals versus the field. Yeah. And so from there, then, the most likely finals would be a rematch of Spurs Heat. And do you see, you predicted Spurs and Six last time, which was in some ways closer to right than what actually happened. But do you do you see it being something similar to that if they face each other again? Yeah, no, I, I mean I think I think I had Spurs and six again. Uh, I think that's that that would that I would stick to that. Uh, I mean I think well I mean I'll run the numbers. Uh, it might actually go down to five. We'll see. I mean it depends on on again it depends on, on, on what shows up. I think again Miami's if you look at this objectively, Miami is a worse team than they were last year. San Antonio is a better team than they were last year. I mean, do you disagree with that statement? I agree with that statement completely. I think that the Spurs are better. I also think the Spurs are deeper in a way that matters in the playoffs. I think that depth gets overrated, but I think if anybody's going to get everything right, it's Popovich. Yeah, and P- Patty Mills is a much better player than he was last year. And, yes. and I think that, 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 that that's, that's, that's way underrated, but he's been really – they actually – sneakily, they're actually better when he's in, or he at least a season, than with, that, than with Tony. Tony's been banged up the entire season, and Patty's actually been really good. And that's – and again, I think that the thing is, you, you, the people always focus on the big three, but they forget all the other guys on that team are young, right? And when you have young players, the progression is, you know, that you, they get better through the experience, and they weren't quite ready in the playoffs, but now they've gone through finals. They're like they're they're a different bunch of guys, right? So, and and, and Kyle Leonard is it, it, it's just a down, Kyle Leonard is just a downright killer, and he's been fantastic in the playoffs. He's shown it at the highest level. He, he you know, he, he's he's just. If he's there, I mean, he makes. He, I would. I've argued that he's the. He's a top three, top five player, right? I mean, I think he's that good. I mean, I. I. I he, he is fantastic, and 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 we underrate his D. And I think, again, I. I think Miami doesn't really have the young guys. The young guys on Miami are Charles and Cole, right? And those guys are not at the level of any of the young guys that 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 the San Antonio has. So I think. Again, you know, Miami has the best player in the world, and that always, you always have a shot if you have the best player in the world, but San Antonio should be favored if it's Miami. I mean, and, and again, as I said, it might even get down to the point where I would, I would think 5-6, it, it would, be, would be that. And again, Miami making four straight finals would be a hell of an achievement. But I, I mean, you, you have to look at historically what happens when a team makes four finals. You, you kind of, you're, you're banged up and beat up, right? And, and, and Miami's looked banged up and beat up the entire season, and 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 people might want to argue that, but I mean, it's I think it's the truth. I mean, we've seen we've seen the proof in the pudding, right? I think Miami, if Miami wanted to, they could have gotten the one seed, right? They just they they prefer to say, look, we just need to rest our guys. And again, I think I think they they really weren't worried about catching Indiana. They were more worried because like, can we make it so we have home court against San Antonio or or the Thunder in the finals? And, and once they couldn't do that, they, then it wasn't really worth their while to get the the, the home court against uh, against Indiana. 
that I agree with that completely. That's a lot of a lot of good things there. One question I've been asking everybody for this podcast is every year in the playoffs, and we're thinking more in terms of popular perception here, not necessarily who you like. There are players that make jumps either from being somebody that isn't known to being well known or from being known to being a star. Are there any players that stand out to you as guys who will make those kind of jumps this year? There, there are a couple guys. I'm going to say Plumlee is an interesting choice. Uh, I think we, we saw a little bit of it with the block he put on LeBron. I think he has an opportunity. He's a, he's, a, he's a really good player. He's a really good rookie. And we haven't had a rookie kind of establish himself this year as the best. And I think I might think Gordy Dang might be better, but I do think that uh, Plumlee has a real opportunity. I think Jimmy Butler also has a shot at like kind of any 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 and he's been he's kind of a hipster like uh like basketball hipsters like Jimmy Butler but I think that we have a real shot he has a real shot at going to the next level same thing with Noah I mean I think the Bulls have the most to gain I think uh, out of the East I think let's see Al Jefferson's another guy who could who could change his perception if they if they if they manage to get two games off the Heat he could he could he could he could gain some props. I, but as I said, I think the Bulls, because I think the Bulls are going to be around the longest, are going to have uh, a big opportunity uh, in that, in, in, in the East. Now, in the West, I think going through it, honestly, I think the guy, the, the person, the, the two people with the biggest, the most to gain are, actually, there's three people who have really a lot to gain. It's, it's Harden, it's Chris Paul, and it's Blake, right? And I think... Even though Chris Paul and Blake are probably like the guys in, in the, all the national campaigns, but I think it's kind of if they they need to make a Western Conference Finals, right? They need to get to get there. They don't necessarily need to make the finals, but they need to at least make the Western Conference Finals to kind of legitimize themselves in the minds of the public as like legitimate like top five guys, right? And I think same thing with Harden. I mean, I think Harden has been a killer in the playoffs, but I think this is this is kind of his this is his opportunity. To kind of you know get an, into an epic series with the Spurs and, and just kind of lay it out like you know uh, LeBron style against the Celtics in in, in 08. You know what I'm saying? I do. An- another guy that that I've been thinking about on the Clippers as well, and it's kind of moving from a lower strata to a, a higher is Jamal Crawford. I think that Crawford could be huge if he's healthy against the Warriors, but also he fits in really well as a guy who could exploit the Thunder if the Thunder choose to defend the Clippers in the way that I expect them to. Yeah, one question we were doing before the podcast, and I'm going I'm to throw it out there, so it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to retweak it slightly. So, which of the Eastern teams, right, if you switch conference, conferences, do you think make the West playoffs? Okay, so if we're talking about making the playoffs at all, I definitely think Miami does. I don't think you'll have any argument with that. I think does, Indiana... Does, does Miami get home court if they're in... If... Yes, Miami gets home court, but I wouldn't be – if you told me they got the four, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. But I Houston is so inconsistent this year that I feel like Miami would have been able to do it. And I think that they would have run pretty well over the bottom, the bottom six teams in the West. I think they would have done well enough to do that, and then they would have put up enough against the other teams and then just slaughtered the East. Yeah. And the Pacers, yeah, I, I think they definitely make it in – but making it in is very possibly the seven or eight. Yeah, I think and... I think we talked about it a little before. I I I I had I have my doubts. I mean, I think I think it doesn't mean I don't think they they you know I think they're forty nine forty eight and I think they're they're I think in the end they they're like I mean I don't think they're necessarily a better I mean right I don't think they're nothing has shown me that they're a better team than Phoenix right now which is kind of kind of and this is. This is not a this is not a knock necessarily on on the Pacers. It's the Phoenix is good. I mean, I think if you switch conferences and play in the rougher schedule with the kind of doldrums that they have, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know that they they manage to sneak in, right? 
I think they do. I You can definitely make the argument, but I think that their season probably in some ways would have paralleled what the Warriors did in that they won. Maybe they could have been a little bit better than they were. But they'll they'll win those games and and I think that I think they would have made it. But I I, have, I I don't know. I honestly have zero doubt in my mind that the Warriors are a better team than the Pacers. Zero zero doubt zero doubt zero. I mean I think they were they've been they they, they got some more impressive wins. And I mean I think if you if you put those if you if you have the Warriors one hundred percent healthy and and they're playing in a series against the Pacers, I think the Warriors are winning. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting thing. I think that the Warriors would get in their own way in a seven-game series against the Pacers a little bit more, and I think that you could do... The Pacers have some interesting things, but the problem with them is that they have such a bad offense that if you're basically going to say, okay, the way that we're going to win is to hold the Warriors to 85 or less, that might not be the best strategy. Well, but, but again, if, 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 I've got, if, you, if you're the Warriors and you've got Iguodala, right, and you're throwing Iguodala against whoever's hot on the Pacers... And then you say you have Bogut just taking care of the middle. Then how is Indiana scoring in this series? David West is just demolishing David Lee. Well, but why would you why would you why would you not put Bogut on David West and let Hibbert and let Hibbert and Lee go at each other? Mark Jackson did do a little bit of that. He put Bogut on Blake Griffin when they faced each other when Chris Paul was out, and so there, that definitely could happen. Oh, and just stick Jermaine O'Neal in there for such. I mean, again, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting hypothetical. I mean, I think the the one thing I would have loved, and I think I also put it on Twitter, was I would have loved the and, and again to close that out. I think the Raptors post Rudy Gay might make it, but that's and the Bulls, right? I think the Bulls, I think the Bulls are who they were. I mean, I think both the Bulls and the Raptors are much better in the second half, and I think. But again, the problem with them is like they they would have really gotten in a huge hole in the first half, right? With the uh, it's like Sacram- if like it's like if Sacramento traded Rudy Gay next year, right? Uh-huh. But I think the, uh, the the one thing I would have loved, and I put it on Twitter, was like I would have loved an unseeded playoffs, right? So it, non no conferences and no uh, so basically get just get the best sixteen teams because then you kick out Atlanta and uh, I believe you kick out Atlanta and Phoenix mix it in. Yeah, and that that's what happens. And also, if you get into that situation, it's Minnesota. Maybe maybe they're into it a little bit more, and maybe they fight against Charlotte for that spot. Yeah, maybe you get San Antonio, Minnesota in the first round. God, that'd be fun. Yeah, that that would. And again, if you start thinking about that, I think I think that the league is missing an opportunity. There was a great the, the, in terms of how to drive fan support. I think they it would help them to have the best sixteen teams in. I mean, I don't. Again, I'm not going to complain because I do think I said there is no there is no uninteresting first round matchup. People would argue Indiana, Atlanta, but I think Indiana, Atlanta is actually going to be good because I mean I think Atlanta is a good team, right? Atlanta is a good team that had like a banged up season and snuck in, and they're going to be more trouble than Indiana is expecting. And as I said, as I said, if 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 Al Horford was coming back, I would really not want to see Atlanta in the first round, right? And they would they would be a completely different story. I think I mean Indiana Indiana really has to take care of business in this series, but there isn't a uh, like an unentertaining series. I, I mean, I think the, the probably the most, the worst one is going to be Chicago, Washington. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think it could be. I think it'll definitely be the least watchable, whether, whether or not it's the, the worst in that sense. But yeah, I, that, that's a definitely the other one with that is Clippers warriors. I think that it, it could just get bad really quickly. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I, would you be, would you be surprised if like the Clippers blew them out like three times? I wouldn't be surprised. I think that 
the Warriors basically I think they'll pull at least one game just with somebody getting hot and blowing blowing through it but the Warriors are just the injury that happened was to the the second worst possible guy obviously Steph would have been worse because that would have it just would have been over it's done but Bogut not only do they not have an effective replacement for him but he's the key to their defense and that's why I found it interesting that Ethan Trotras, he he talked about Iguodala as being a potential defensive player of the year guy on the ballot. And to me, Bogut was far more important to their defense than Iguodala was. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the combo of the inside-out guy where where I think that, that made him really deadly. When they, when they were at the best in the season, they had those two guys, and it was just their, their top five was really crazy. I mean, I think, and again, I think sneakily, I keep looking at the Clippers and going like, that Clipper team has an extra gear. Right, they don't necessarily show it every night, but you, you, we've seen that a couple of times when they've when they've destroyed people, right? They, they they have that extra kind of we're going to just beat the crap out of you. I think where where it gets interesting for that team and it's gotten interesting is when adversity hits for that team. At least when Vinny Del Negro was their coach, they would fold. I mean, they they would they would they would look really impressive, and then like you know they start to get banged up, people would get hurt, they wouldn't get the right rotations, the calls wouldn't go their way, and they, that team would fold. And with Doc Rivers, you know, I don't see that happening. So, I mean, I think to me the Clippers are, you know, if if I got to pick a team to, like, break the San Antonio-Miami thing from the West, I think, I think the, I, I mean, I think I would say, I would say San, like, if, if I'm picking the Western finalists, I would say San Antonio Clippers, then Thunder. It would be, would be my order. It's like that's the order I would think it's going to, a most likely probability of getting into the finals. I'll agree with that. I can't let you go without giving without giving some pub to the prediction contest that you're doing. Do you want to walk people through it? Yeah, basically we, we and we did this in the preseason, but we we basically also are doing it for the playoffs. So we put up a spreadsheet up on Box for Geeks. It's also on Wages of Wins. You can go in, you make your picks. Uh, we're going to tabulate it and we're going to rank everybody. Once the playoffs are done, we're gonna give everybody the top ten. We're trying to get as many people as we can. Then you can brag and say that you were better than everybody on the internet at picking the uh, the playoffs. And you're doing it round by round, correct? So that if you you're not it's not like the NCAA tournament where if your champion goes out in the first round you're just dead. Right. You you do round one and then you just move on round by round. You can you can you can redo the picks, right? Obviously you have to pick every round if you want to get the full points. Absolutely. Uh, are there any other playoff notes that you want to get through, or we hit everything? I think we got everything. I think I think the uh, the um, as I said, I mean, I think this is going to shape up to be one of the more fun playoffs we've had in a while. I mean, I think you know, I, I, I whereas I, you know, I think San Antonio is a historically dominant team. They have enough flaws that I think it, it, it's kind of interesting still. And I think that we have some very interesting storylines going on. You know, I think the only thing that makes me sad is, gosh, I really wish Phoenix could have made it. Yeah, I wish Phoenix Phoenix could have gotten that eight, or I would have really wanted to see a Phoenix-Oklahoma City series just from an entertainment standpoint. And the thing that I think is really interesting is, while I think the Spurs definitely have the best shot at it, there is no team that I would put as a stone-cold lock to make even the conference finals. And I'm very excited by that because... I like not knowing how it's going to go, and I don't have a big investment personally in my own predictions, so I'm just hoping that it's exciting and that also that it's not marred by injury because that's the other big thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, uh, oh, uh, one point, I worked out the odds. I mean, there's, there's a, the fact that there's a non-trivial chance 
of seeing the Charlotte Bobcats in the finals. It's really kind of, you know, that's that's kind of, if I told you that at the beginning of the season, you would have called me crazy. And again, Heat fans, don't get offended. I'm just saying, basically, if you think that there's like a, and I think I've got this, I, I can say, look, if there's a, there's a, there's about a 5% chance they can win that series, right? Or like, you, let's assume there could also be an injury in that series. Let's assume there's like a 10% chance the Bobcats can win that series. And then like what? They would be facing the Raptors and the Nets in the second round. And and again the Nets you know the Nets are okay but they're you know it's a matchup play so there's a there's a non-trivial chance for that to happen right granted something has to break I think the chances were better when they were placing the, when the, when it looks like the Pacers but that makes it's it's really fun I mean I think you could have some very interesting upsets or the possibility of some very interesting upsets in the first round in the East and I think that's going to make for some exciting basketball. I'll let you go with a really weird hypothetical. If the Bobcats win the title, do they still change their name to the Hornets? God. <laughs> uh, you know, I would, I would, yeah, I think I, they have to change it. to. Uh, they, 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 aren't they already locked in at this point? Would they have to get, they like, are. Would they have to get like a special dispensation? I mean, I think, I think the more interesting question is if the Bobcats make the conference finals, does Jordan play for them? He's not eligible, is he? Why wouldn't he be eligible? Oh wait, no, you're right. He could. Oh, okay, but I, I think he would be ineligible. I think that's. I, I honestly, that was a that's a funny think, hypothetical think, that maybe he should have done it. You made think? You think, eligible. you think the league office, if, if, if Michael Jordan picks up the phone and like, he calls Adam Silver and says, "Hey, I want to come back for the Eastern Conference Finals," you think the league says no? Or especially if it's against the Bulls? Is there any is there any scenario where the league says, "No, no, Mike, we don't want you to come back to the Eastern Conference Finals on national television if you want." Hey, they could do a quickie, even though the they don't have a head of the player association yet, do a really quick bipart- bilateral negotiation and just put it in, put in some sort of exemption that if you are already in the Hall of Fame, you don't need to go through the process. It's it's like the Michael Jordan. No, no, he's Michael Jordan. If he wants to come back, he can come back. God damn it! No, it's it's. <laughs> could you imagine the ratings for them? Something like that. I mean, it's still Charlotte, but yeah, it would be incredible because the casual interest would just be beyond beyond anything that I think we can really envision for for oh, the Twitter, NBA. Oh, Twitter would explode. It would explode. It would explode the whole time because as soon as the murmurs went out, it would explode. As soon as there was rumors of a decision, it would explode. And then when it actually happened, it would explode. Uh, yeah, that, that 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 would be something to see. I mean, again, I don't think I don't think the I, I don't think the Bobcats can beat the Heat. Boring. Uh, some sort of injury happening to the Heat, but the fact that I have to put that caveat, it makes it really interesting. I think like they they've done, they've done something there. I mean that's 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 a much better team than than we thought at the beginning of the season. And that's that's a credit to their coach, and that's a credit to I think I think Al's been really good. Yeah, he has been. Well, thank you for coming on, and thank you for giving me something new and outlandish to root for in the playoffs. Now, hey, come on, Mike. That I mean, it's hard to imagine anything that would be more exciting than that in that sense. Okay. Well, thanks for thanks again for coming on. It's been fun. Thanks again to Arturo Galetti for coming on. You can read him at boxscoregeeks.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Arturo Galetti. That's A-R-T-U-R-O-G-A-L-L-E-T-T-I. also like to thank the rest of our guests this week. In order, that was Beckley Mason, New York Times and ESPN, Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders, and Shams Tranya of Real GM. It was a pleasure having all of them on. Just a quick version of my own interpretation of what's going to happen in the playoffs. I think that the first round isn't going to have many upsets. I think that the only one that I'm seeing is Brooklyn over Toronto, but that's a really, really close one. I could go either way. Then conference finals would be the Heat and the Pacers, as we've thought for months, and 
going with the Spurs and the Thunder. I, I think that while the Clippers are a good team, I think that the Thunder are just good enough to, to clean it out. Then Spurs Heat Finals in a rematch. And even though I think that in many ways you could say the Spurs are the better team, I just have it as a gut feeling that Miami's going to get their three-peat. They'll win in six. And I don't know what would happen then. Maybe LeBron opts in, but it'd be really fun. So another thing to add in is that there will be another Real Jam Radio podcast this week. I already recorded with Nate Duncan on the Nike Hoop Summit, and I'm looking to get another guest, and it looks like that's going to happen in the next couple days. So you can keep an eye on that. Maybe coincide with the first games of the playoffs, depending on the timing of the interview and editing and all of that. Next week, start going back into the eliminated. Since it'll probably be too early to get any quick takes on the playoffs, it'll depend on guest availability, but start getting into that. So if you have people connected with teams that you think would be good guests, let them know. I already have some in mind, but it's always good to have them. And thank you for listening, and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm